What were you doing in the early 2000s? A time when Britney, Blockbuster, Napster, and Nokia ruled the world. Joe and Mel present the week that was 20 years ago. T-20, a podcast about not-so-ancient history. Week of 30, June 2002. T-20, the rest is history. Britney, bitch. T-20, you need to nominate two housemates. If you think you're some bitches full of crap, give me a hell yeah! Welcome aboard to T-Minus 20, the podcast about not-so-ancient history where we talk all things news and pop culture from this time 20 years ago. If you thought you were in your prime back then and feel like you've wasted your life now, welcome. You are our people. We want to be talking to you. My name's Joe. I'm one half of the host. Somebody who's still in a prime, looks as good as the day that I met her, is Mel. Hello. How are you on the other side of the desk? I do think you need to get your eyes checked. It's probably about that time. Time Hello. to get a spec savers, yep. I'm well. Hello, everybody. This week we are talking the week of the 30th of June through to the 6th of July 2002. It was a really big week here in our country, Australia. Yeah. A lot going on. We had a guy in a balloon who makes it around the world and touches down here in Australia. Yeah, that's that's significant. It's very significant. Yeah. Robo Roo also landed on our shores. Right. We had IRL Underbelly. You've ever seen the Underbelly series? It was happening in real life this time 20 years ago out in Griffith. Yeah, yeah. Pretty interesting one happening there. We also had our second winner of Australian Big Brother. Oh, Big Brother. Mm, oh. It was still quite a novelty at this point. So this was, was only the second season. Yeah. And it was quite the season. There was a lot going on in this one. What was the prize money? Was that like two hundred fifty thousand dollars Yeah. So just in time for end of financial year. <laughs> I wonder if you have to pay tax on well, maybe Big not. Brother. If it happened earnings, later in the week, maybe earnings. they'd have to report it in next financial year's earnings. Carry it over. Is, end of financial year. This is how you know you passed your prime, when you start to celebrate <laughs> things like the end of financial year. But it's somewhere oh. there's a whole bunch of accountants just cutting mm, loose, like yeah. having some kind DF. of yeah, some kind of numerical <laughs> orgy. I don't know what they do. Uh, to party, but I reckon accountants would know how to party somehow. Yeah, have a bit of a spreadsheet hangover usually on the 1st of July. Yeah. I do have my finances in order, though. I I, I go along throughout the year and now, I, I track yeah. it all in a spreadsheet and I'm ready to go and have been seeing the same account probably since T-20. I think... I think it was early 2000s. I've been with yeah. the same accountant. He yeah. was a champion. Absolutely. Yes, champion. and you introduced me to said accountant as well, and now he's my accountant. And yes. it's like it's like that movie same time next year. Yes. Except we're not having an affair. <laughs> I well, I don't are you? No. 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 And he's very mild mannered, kind of like a doctor. Yeah. And then he is. he's just yeah, he's just there calculating away in his brain. We're telling our life story and he's just like, Yep, yeah, okay. He knows how to party. He's like, you we make it a joke and stuff like that. And he'll just be like, So uh any donations to charity this year? <laughs> I know, just that's some of my best material I'm working with here. He's like, I've been working on that for a whole mm, financial year, mate. Did you have to wear a uniform? <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Did you use your car for any trips anywhere? I'm like, I'm, mate, I just, my soul's laid bare here. I'm trying to have some banter, and he just won't have a bar of it. He's very, very efficient and very competent, though. Yes, he yeah. is. Hopefully, a good return. This well, year. unlike you, I don't have my financial affairs in order, and I never really have. So, thankfully, again, the engine room, like I say, like you're driving the whole thing. I don't even know what I'm here for, just to pick heavy things up and put them back down again. I can't even do that very well nowadays. <laughs> I reckon if you were seeing our accountant back in the early 2000s, 
you probably could have claimed your video membership. If I reckon I, mm. you could have because you could have aligned it with your job. You're watching the movies to talk about on your job at the time. Yeah, maybe. Probably if, could have made some deductions. If I was seeing our accountant back then, I probably would have taken better care of myself and we would have gotten married by now. <laughs> I'd be a kept man. <laughs> but, yes, you may have been able to to deduct all of those fines that you got back in the early 2000s from too much movie can watching. You, can you claim video fines on tax? Maybe. Yeah, well, that I don't know. Pre- He'd that, know. We should ask him this year. I don't know if he can. Instead well, of trying to make a joke, maybe ask a serious tax question. Maybe like, I've been doing some digging and you're the reason why uh, Blockbuster in <laughs> Dixon went bankrupt. Because <laughs> you didn't that. pay that didn't fine. Pay fines. Well, to be honest with you, like the staff were pretty cool there. They'd always waive them, which I thought was really nice. But I did watch a lot of movies and that's why we do a movie clue at the mm. beginning of the show that we kind of hook through to the end of the show. It's like an old school radio technique to keep people listening from start to finish. I'm not sure how effective it is in this medium, but we still do it anyway because it's fun. So I used to watch a lot of movies. Mel digs up these obscure film clues that she plays to me every week and then we all have fun while I squirm and try and guess them at the end of the show. I'll take my headphones off now so that I don't get to hear it until the very end of the show when I get put on the spot and have to guess it. So here we go. This week's clue. I'll make you a deal. Six months worth of dope. Just give me a ride where I gotta go. Sounds good. What what I reckon we should do is I'll play it again, yeah? Because I feel like people don't – I've still got my headphones off, so I feel a bit – You're talking a bit louder than usual. Oh, really? (laughs) It's it's like when your um, mum used to borrow your Walkman Mm. and and she'd be like, oh, this is great, and just would talk really loud all of a sudden. Yes. You can really hear the high fidelity. (laughs) Yes. Anyway, I'll play it again. I'll make you a deal. Six months worth of dope. Give me a ride where I gotta go. Sounds good. All right, it's done. Uh, I'll put my headphones back. It was like having a small out of body experience. Mm. Yeah. Um, and now I'm talking back to normal again. Yes, you do sound normal once more. Yeah, so we'll come back to that at the end of the show and see if you recall that from your movie watching days in the early 2000s. Pretty significant in the news from the 1st of July 2002 when they establish the International Criminal Court, which is this intergovernmental organisation and international tribunal based in The Hague in the Netherlands. This is quite a big step. It's the first and only permanent international court with jurisdiction to prosecute individuals for international crimes of genocide, crimes against humanity, war crimes and the crime of aggression. That's right. Their current president, Peter Holman, actually explains a bit about what they're about in his annual address from this year. Millions of people around the world are victims of unimaginable atrocities that deeply shock the conscience of humanity. To achieve peace and well-being for all societies, we need to unite against these crimes to ensure accountability, to ensure better access to justice for victims and reparation for harm suffered, and to prevent future conflict and violence. That is the purpose of the International Criminal Court. The, the purpose. First time he said that, I thought he said porpoise. What are the turtles got to do with it? It did sound <laughs> a little, yeah, you're right. It did uh, sound a little bit like sorry, that. Sorry, you shouldn't take the piss out of him for his accent. He's doing a fantastic job. Yes. Uh, so they actually 
had discussions. They've been talking about doing something like this way back since World War One, mm. when they thought that the Kaiser of Germany should have been brought to justice for war crimes and atrocities from World War One. Now, in its current form, that that idea they were like, you know, put a pin in that, and they didn't really float the idea until 1989, mm-hmm. um, and the Prime Minister of Trinidad and Tobago actually brought it up and said, listen, we've got a real problem with the illegal drug trade here. There's heaps of atrocities being committed. Nobody's being brought to justice. Let's set up an ICC mm. or an ICC lowercase t, depending on how you want, want to set up the acronym. <laughs> how you like your acronyms. Yeah. And everyone thought it was a pretty good idea, so well, they decided to, yeah. to draft something up. While they were doing that, there was a need for something to happen sooner, though. So they had a couple of ad hoc tribunals. I think there was one in response to the atrocities committed in the Yugoslav Wars as well as the Rwandan genocide. I guess really highlighting the need for something to be put in place. There was definitely a need. So they thought, yeah, let's keep drafting it. Those those cases especially, Yugoslavia, Mm. Rwanda, massive humanitarian crisis and nobody's being brought to account for it. So, yeah, like... Definitely a very honourable thing to do. So they actually had something drafted by 1994. That's a long time between drinks. So float the idea in 1989 and then five years later we've got a draft. Then they had a conference in 1998, so another four years. Then after 60 ratifications... It came in on the 1st of July 2002. 60 ratifications. That is a lot of track changes. That is a lot of comments for consideration and or action. You're not wrong. I would not. Imagine if you had the first draft and then saw it all in markup. Devo, wouldn't you? I'd be no markup. I'd just be (laughs) looking at it clean. This is the thing. You talk about how the wheels of government tend to move kind of slow, right? The wheels of bureaucracy can Mm. move very slow when you get bogged down in paperwork and drafts well, and amendments. Well, you've got to have the like right that. consultation right. with your stakeholders. So that and that can just be in one country. Mm. Imagine doing this in a multitude like yes. over a hundred countries. Yeah. yeah exactly. It would just be extremely difficult to bring anything to fruition. And there has been criticism about has them there? being ineffective or of little effect. But I would argue mm. that through them a lot of pretty bad people have been brought to justice. Now, they held their – so you're talking about it entering force in 2002. Their first hearing was in 2006, Mm. so another four years later, Uh, and that was about uh, war crimes against Thomas Lubaga Diilo, who was a Congolese warlord. He was accused of recruiting child soldiers. Mm. And there's a few other people that are accused of recruiting child soldiers that they've brought to justice since. He was convicted in 2012, so six years after Mm. they put forward a case against him or had their first hearing, he was actually convicted, which was great. That was a huge win for Mm. the ICC. They have had 46 individuals indicted in the ICC, including Ugandan rebel leader Joseph Kony. Yeah, remember Kony 2012? I do, Another recruiter of child soldiers, like I was saying, yeah. President Omar al-Bashir of Sudan. Yep. Uh, President Kenyatta. Uhuru Kenyatta from Kenya. Kenya. Yep, yep. And This was a big one. Muammar Gaddafi from Libya. 
Like mm. I can remember Gaddafi in the eighties. He was terrifying. Yeah. It was the big sunglasses, the big aviator sunglasses. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes, he was always quite terrifying. Um, they had President Laurent Gbagbo of the Ivory Coast, former Vice President Jean Pierre Bemba of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Lots of bad guys. That so they say. You know, are they really effective? They've only indicted 46 people, but underneath those 46 people mm. is the suffering of millions, like yeah. literal millions of people, yeah. child soldiers, humanitarian crisis, war crimes, like lots of horrible things. These are pretty evil, evil people. Yeah. And they are people that would otherwise probably not be brought to justice mm. if their uh, motherland or the country that they were based in, mm. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe if they fell into the hands of the people and the people were able to, but they usually flee or go into hiding or whatever. Mm. And then, yeah. So I, I, I would argue that that's pretty effective. Yeah. As of March this year, 123 ICC member states, if you go to their webpage, There's a court calendar and it shows you all the people that are currently before the court and when their trials are happening. You can read up about... Very interesting. It's very interesting to see the sorts of crimes as well that are before the ICC. Uh You can even watch live streams of the trials. I think they're on a slight delay actually, so not entirely live. Yeah. um, Potentially due to some of... The things that might be discussed, maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if it's something that's of interest, jump on their website and, and have a look. I think there's about five or six in the next week. Yeah, wow. Mm. I mean, given how slow the wheels of justice kind of turn for this, you'd be in for some pretty extended seasons for some of these trials. Oh, yeah. You might end up with like six years' yeah. worth of viewing. But it's certainly <laughs> a little bit more poignant and compelling than, say, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, on the same day, 1st of July 2002, Bashkirian Airlines Flight 2937, which is a passenger jet, and DHL Flight 611, which is a 757 cargo jet for DHL, obviously, collide midair over southern Germany near the Swiss border, which kills everyone on board. Mm. Crew, passengers, nobody survives. I believe the... DHL plane hit sort of the the tail of the DHL plane, cut the other plane in half. It exploded midair and nobody survived. Yeah, the death toll was 71 and unfortunately included 46 students who are on a school trip. Yeah. Just heartbreaking. Awful. Imagine that. Imagine like, yeah, we're all going on a school excursion, very exciting, everyone's going on a plane and then bang. They wouldn't have even known what hit them, I would imagine. Mm, the official investigation identified the main cause of the collision was due to the air traffic control. They were inside the German border, yeah. but the airspace was controlled from Switzerland yes. by a private Swiss airspace company yep. called Skyguide. Yeah, yeah, they got in big trouble. On the 1st of July, Peter Nielsen was the only air traffic controller handling the airspace. He was working two workstations at the same time. He was also working with delayed radar data. Uh, he didn't realise the problem in time and failed to keep the planes at a safe distance. It just, I want to make a point about multitasking. Yeah, you know, everyone thinks they can multitask. Not like, possible. I'm a woman, I can multitask. No, no, you can't. And if you do, you're not doing a very good job at anything that you're doing. I'm sorry. You know what you should do, women? You should find one job and just do it well. That applies to everybody. It does. Thank you. It does. Men but, as well. But we don't run around waving flags saying that we can multitask. And this is like this is exhibit A. 
Multitask, it's a horrible exhibit and I shouldn't be making light of it, but multitasking does not work, especially when you're an air traffic controller. You'd think that would be protocols in place. You think there would have <laughs> to be the, more than one person working in this type of job. Is it, What's does the fail-safe? So he works for Skyguide, right? Yes. It's a private company. They're trying to save money, cut corners. Somebody maybe rang in sick and they couldn't back up and do a shift. I don't know. There was another guy and he was having a nap apparently. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. So less than a minute oh, before the accident wow. occurred, he realised what was happening and he contacted Flight 2937, so that was the passenger jet, Yeah. and he told the pilot to descend to avoid the DHL plane, Yeah. right? However, the plane has its own traffic collision avoidance system built into it. Yeah. And it was telling the plane to climb. Oh. Right? So he's overruled the onboard system saying climb. And so the passenger jets, all right, well, the air traffic controller has told me to descend, so I better descend. So they're not listening to the instruments. Surely the instrument, I mean, the, the, the instruments inside the plane are inside the plane and the air traffic controller is on the ground. So what? I mean, I, I like it, um, it might have been a split-second decision, but if you're going to make that decision, wouldn't you err on the side of trusting the onboard equipment as opposed to somebody who was on the ground? Well, this is the problem. The DHL plane, its onboard instruments were oh. telling it to descent. Right. So he didn't talk to the DHL plane. DHL plane's listening to its own instruments, so what? both planes oh. are descending. Oh, so they're on a collision course as a result of the instruction plus the onboard equipment of the DHL plane, which was probably instructing it to do the right thing. So had the other plane climbed and the DHL plane descended, then yes. they wouldn't have hit each other. So had both planes followed their automated instructions inbuilt to the plane, the collision wouldn't have occurred. Wow. So If was- Peter Nelson had just been quiet... Yeah. It could have been. A, isn't that terrible? So if isn't he, that if he was, terrible? If he was working those two workstations and didn't notice. At all. Yeah, that is absolutely yeah. awful. Heartbreaking. What an, a, split, well, it's not a split second decision that has cost the lives of 71 people. Skyguide initially blamed the Russian pilot for the accident. Yeah. And then eventually accepted full responsibility. Asked the relatives of the victims for forgiveness and paid compensation yeah, to the they families. sure did. The CEO of Skyguide, Alan Rossier, issues a formal apology. Es sind auch bei uns Fehler gemacht worden und wir We too have made mistakes and we most deeply regret this. We take responsibility as outlined in the German investigation report. Und wir bitten... And we ask the families of the victims for forgiveness. Unfortunately for Peter, not all of the families were that forgiving. No. In February 2004, devastated by the death of his wife and two children who died in the crash, Vitaly Kaliev, a Russian architect, held Peter Nielsen personally responsible. He tracks him down and stabs him to death in front of his wife and three children. Oh, oh man. Terrible. So we go from like a, a, a mid-air disaster to yeah. true crime. Yeah. It's And like, I mean, it's how this guy's an architect. Story. He's had his life completely ripped away from him and he knows that someone's at fault and he just goes out on this with nothing to lose, mm. this 
he plots this horrible revenge and acts it out and gets away. Well, he doesn't get away with it, but he he succeeds, and it's just it just makes it even more gruesome. Yeah, just a horrible story. And while we're on the subject of true crime, I I don't know. So I grew up well. I moved around the country a lot as as a kid. My dad worked for the bank. So when you work for the bank, you get transferred to different towns to go and work in different banks at different towns. And one of the places that my father was posted at was Griffith, New South Wales. Ah. Uh, and for anyone who was a fan of the show Underbelly or yes. was or remembers their their sort of local crime history, Griffith was a bit of a hot spot for crime. It was what? a it was a town where there was a huge uh, influx of Italian immigrants and a lot of ma- it was connected to the mafia. Mm. There were wineries, orchards, and marijuana orchards, and <laughs> and the, a lot of it was funny because in the early eighties there was uh, lots of and, and late seventies houses were just popping up. There were these huge mansions, big Italian mansions, and they were like, "Where's all the money coming from?" What, when were you there? What year? Uh, I think I was around 80, sort of around 84, 86. That was yeah. a big point in time for all that crime because that's when the underbelly tale of two cities was set in the 80s in Griffith. Yeah, yeah. So you were right there in the midst of I it. I probably shouldn't Gosh. have admitted that my dad worked for the bank at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, they got to put the money somewhere, right? Oh my gosh! I mean, it's. I mean, he's not an accountant. He's <laughs> he's just holding on to it. They they've got to declare it elsewhere. So That's, he's probably come across some of these. Uh, maybe I don't know. I don't know. To be honest with you, I was how old was I? I was eight, somewhere around eight years yeah, old. Yeah, so um, even know. But uh, so there's been a lot of history. Like yes. obviously the Robert Trimboli, Donald McKay thing. Anyone who's watched. Underbelly would be familiar with that. But uh, there was a character on the 1st of July in 2002 by the name of Antonio Romeo who was shot dead while pruning trees at his family's orchard near Griffith, as you do. Yeah, what a what a way to, to go, well, pruning trees. Antonio had just finished serving an eight-year jail term for importing drugs and it was during this time that Giovanni Sergi, who was the head of the Griffith organised crime family, the Sergis, mm. uh, and was also his father-in-law, found out he was having an affair with his daughter, Maria. So I think it's alleged that Giovanni told him after his release from jail that he loved him, but he'd have to restore his family's honour over the affair and shoot him in the knee, mm. which was a similar fate that actually happened to Rocco Barbaro, who also had an affair with Maria. Now, he- Maria... Did, did Maria take any accountability for this? I don't know, but she's going to How be, are her kneecaps? I think her kneecaps They're are still fine. okay. Yeah. Maria hasn't been kneecapped. No. Um, so there was a threat of kneecapping for Antonio, but when he was pruning the tree and he got shot, he was shot in the chest, not in the kneecap. Yeah, that's not very good aim, is it? So they weren't sure whether this was to do with Giovanni making good on his promise and maybe having bad aim. Uh-huh. There was another theory that his involvement in the supply of drugs was allegedly upsetting another big crime family, the Barbaros. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so Rocco, Rocco's I'm assuming, was affair. one of them. Rocco's had the affair with Maria. But, it but was, I um, think Antonio used to work with the Barbaros bringing in drugs and then decided to be a bit of a free agent and went up against them. Yeah. So sort of broke away and did his own thing. And he's come out of jail now, so that's obviously a little bit of competition. So there was also this theory that 
the Barbaros may have been involved as well. I am putting a massive allegedly on all of this, by the oh, way, man. P.S., because I don't think they ever found out. I don't think anyone was talking. I don't think they had any witnesses. Don't I don't think people were, were cooperating with the investigation. So I feel like this was one that was never solved. There is not a lot of information about it apart from a couple of newspaper articles the day after he was shot, well, I think it was and that was pa- about it. They, they were saying that it was Pascal Barbaro that could have potentially done it as well. So I think. Yeah, yeah, so allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Or he was, no, hang on. I don't know if I've got that entirely right. Like this is like a really intense soap opera where if, you, if you're watching the soap opera or the, the series mm. and then you sit down to get a bit of screen time on your phone, <laughs> like you check your Facebook in the middle of it, you can completely lose track with what's going on and you'll be nudging your partner going, what happened? Can you tell me exactly <laughs> what happened? So I don't know if Pascal was working with Romeo at the time and helping him with the supply of drugs or he might have potentially, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's very confusing. But Romeo had broken away from the Barbaro family and began to strike out on his own, right? So they were obviously... I've already said all that. Oh, see? I told you. I was checking my Facebook. (laughs) Okay. Do you remember early 2000s? Yes, a friend vaguely. Of, a friend of mine had, I think it may have been a 25th. It was quite a large celebration, a lot of people at a dinner. Oh, going to be a 30th, surely. And we were having a chat to some oh. of her friends that came along. Can we talk about this? We, is it safe? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm not accusing anyone of anything. No. I'm just saying that you discussed where you I'm just going to go back and check my Facebook. <laughs> you discussed... Places that you'd lived over the years Uh and one of these people at this dinner had also lived in Griffith and you asked their name Uh and the name was quite familiar. I'm not going to say the name, but it was was a familiar name. And I do remember you asking straight out, oh, are you one of those people from that family? And he said to you, what are you, a cop? (laughs) And you just went, Oh, dear. And then you said, look at me. Do I look like a cop? Yeah. And he said, maybe a cop that doesn't want people to know they're a cop. And it got very awkward, but then it was just turned a bit Like one of the cool cops on 21 Jump Street. (laughs) I still have both my kneecaps. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not an everyday cop. I'm a cool cop. And my chest. <laughs> anyway, this whole this whole thing with, with Antonio Romeo, I don't think it was ever solved. And, no, and that's it, what I was saying. They yeah. never found out because nobody was no. talking and that's why I'm putting a big allegedly on everything. No, uh, that's why I'm checking my Facebook. Uh, but uh, I'll have you know that at the time of recording, uh, our friends Ryan and Christina have had a baby. She oh, was congrats. Born today. Congratulations. Oh. It'll be a couple of weeks late because at the time of recording, but well done. Anyway, so that's good Get news leading into some more. Uh, I'm going away now. I just wanted to avoid that. What happened? What did I miss? We're, we're at the 2nd of July, 2002. We've, okay, made it, we've made it to the next day. Good. We've got through the night. Very good. And we're on the 2nd of July. For now. It's a big day, big day for Steve Fawcett, a big day for Australia because yeah. he becomes the first person to fly solo around the world nonstop in a balloon and lands in Australia. That's right. Not just a man that was named after a tap. No, he was an American businessman. It's different spelling, F O S. And a record setting aviator, sailor, adventurer. And after five unsuccessful attempts, he launches the 10 story high balloon, The Spirit of Freedom, from mm. Western Australia on the 19th of June. And he returns to Australia on, well, it was the 3rd of July for us, but the 2nd of July is like the official date because we're kind of ahead of everyone. Landing in Queensland, Australia. 
It was a case of sixth time lucky. Chicago billionaire balloonist Steve Fawcett finally realising his dream of the first solo circumnavigation of the world. Yeah, I'm really, uh, really delighted. I've wanted to do this for 10 years and I've been working solidly on it for uh, six years. Fawcett crossed longitude 117 degrees and into the record books at 9.40 last night, Western Australian time. It was just as his mission control was holding a media conference. Come on. Fawcett's balloon, the Spirit of Freedom, left Northam in Western Australia on the 19th of June. For the past 14 days, the high-tech balloon has flown around the world. The problem today has been how to get down. <laughs> yeah, he didn't really stick the landing. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. I there remember. was a lot of faffing around before he got I remember down. he wasn't very popular in this country. Yeah. I, I think at the time when he was successful, it was like, oh, yeah, he's successful. But he'd had a couple of failed attempts. Mm. And I believe that a lot of taxpaying, good, honest Australian taxpayers were very annoyed at the at the amount of effort that we had I to go to I think we had to put to a lot of resources him. out on the ground to yeah. help him get down. I do remember that. And I also remember the balloon. It was a very creepy-looking balloon. Do you remember what it looked yeah, like? It was like? That a... silver odd shape. I was expecting, you know, a nice novelty hot air balloon in the shape of a logo no, it or like a, a character. Turnip. It looked it like was a big ho- turnip. It was really creepy. Yeah, a giant turnip. So everyone says Sky Whale's creepy. No, this was the creepiest balloon I've ever seen. Yeah, it it looks like a horror movie balloon. Anyway, yeah, yeah he landed. He he travelled around 20,600 miles or just over 33,000 kilometres. Yeah. His top speed was 186 miles per hour or 299 kilometres per hour. Uh-huh. And then he had a pretty crap landing. I think he got dragged along the ground for 20 minutes or something at the end of the flight. Look, I've been in a balloon and the landing is never attractive. No. Usually you fall out of the basket. You don't get yeah. dragged along for 20 minutes yeah. though. Yeah. Generally. But I mean, this balloon is not like your wicker basket balloon. No, it's the creepy this is balloon. Like, he's like super high altitudes, mm. like pressurized cabin, mm. extreme claustrophobia. Uh, but the, the cabin is almost, it's very, it's almost like a space capsule. Yeah, it's very old. Yeah, so the only thing that survived after being dragged for 20 minutes was Steve Fawcett and the capsule. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, yeah. Like the balloon (laughs) was just shredded. It's on display in the Smithsonian. Do you remember we saw that? I did. We saw it on our honeymoon. That was exciting. That was exciting. That creepy balloon. Great. And I was like, you know, we're Australian taxpayers and um, (laughs) we're taking that. That's coming back with us. Souvenir. I couldn't afford the carry on the extra luggage though. Steve did well out of it, though, because he had sponsorships with Bud Light. He also bought a contingency insurance policy that would pay him $3 million if he succeeded in the flight. Oh, so he got $3 million. He got insurance to be paid for his success. How does that work? I don't know. Can I get insurance for, like, if I fall over and break my leg? Yeah, look, highly probable. That's kind of painful. I don't want to do that. Uh, Can I get insurance for being dragged for 20 minutes along the ground? I guess, I don't know. Yeah, payday. So, so... (laughs) And the insurance company's like, well, he's tried five times before. Yeah, this is not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Easy money for us. Whoops. Maybe you could <laughs> give that three million to the Australian taxpayers, Steve. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, he's he's mates with Richard Branson. Yeah. You know, it's there is something about it that's very Jules Verne, very intrepid, adventurous sort of thing. And we we and need tenacity. He just did not give up, did he? You know, I know. I'd, yeah, I'd give up after the first. I know five it's kind of, of like a waste flight. of money, maybe in some people's eyes. And that circuit. I mean, considering like it's a balloon going around the world, that's a little bit. 
I mean, that technology is out of date. Like, you could do that in a plane or whatever. Oh, well, yeah. he also flew a Zeppelin, got yeah. a record flying a Zeppelin. Why? Why? I mean, it's like that guy that did the largest skydive from space, you know, in the Red Bull balloon. Oh, like, that big, yeah. From the stratosphere. He skydived from the stratosphere, which is pretty amazing. Like an incredible feat. And I do like it because it's there's a sense of adventure to it. But it, it's also like encouraging, I guess, that pioneering spirit. And that's why I'm saying, like, the balloon is a technology that's out of date. You know, why wouldn't you get into space flight like some of these other billionaire friends? And I guess the fact that he's hooked up with Branson has probably helped mm. with that. Maybe he's got some information that Branson didn't have. Like, he's like, Wait, when you uh, when you bring that capsule back down from outer space, just be aware you don't want to be dragged for 20 minutes along the <laughs> ground because that sucks. That's not a lot of fun. But what you really should do is take out an insurance policy <laughs> in case you're successful. Solid financial advice at yeah. the end of the financial year, really, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes. He also flew solo around the world in a fixed-wing aircraft. So yeah, I think Richard Branson had something to do with mistake. that. Yeah. He had 13 world records in sailing. Like I said, he flew a Zeppelin and got some record for that. He uh-huh. was a skier, a mountain climber. He did sled dog racing. He did it all. He was very yeah. busy. Yeah. Very busy. Unfortunately, and I didn't realise, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that he died. Look, I didn't recall hearing about this in 2007. I'm just not surprised. Mm, I mean, it's yeah. a life well lived. Yeah. But if you're going to put yourself that far out there and do all of those things, mm, it's going to catch risky. up with you risky sooner behavior. or later. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. you've got to get insurance policies like that. Yeah. yeah. So September 3rd, 2007, he took a single engine plane. He flew from Nevada and failed to return. They did lots of searches. Google Earth actually provided satellite imagery. Yeah. Amazon provided some beta website where users could flag areas of interest for searching. It was all very tech. Yeah. Psychics joined in. Oh, really? Mm. And they couldn't find him. Well, they couldn't they find found, Fawcett. No, they found eight other crash sites, previously unidentified crash sites, wow. but not his site. Um, by the 12th of September, they'd speculated that he was likely dead, and so they ceased operations on the 17th of September, 2002. 2007, sorry. A year later in 2008, a hiker found ID cards in Nevada around 100 kilometres away from where he took off and they were confirmed to be his. They later found the wreckage of the plane nearby and human bones that were found in October 2008 were confirmed to To be be a a DNA match. Yeah, Yeah, that's a bit sad, isn't it? I don't know. I think it's kind of a cool way to go for an adventurer. You disappear for a while, you create a little bit of mystery, you take up brand. a whole bunch more taxpayers' money. <laughs> you know? And Google and yeah. Amazon. Yeah. Everyone got and then eventually and the they, psychics. They find your bones and it, it becomes news again. So you're making headlines even, you know, posthumously. I, I don't think Steve would have wanted it any other way. Mm, the probable cause of death was his inadvertent account encounter with downdrafts that exceeded the climb capacity of the airplane. Because he just didn't go up fast enough. Well, I say that Steve probably wouldn't have wanted it any other way, but I reckon he'd probably prefer to be alive. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. plenty of other adventures out there. Well, the the news was very much caught in a downdraft for pretty much its entirety. Although Steve was interesting. He was. Yeah, and I mean, he probably feeds into technology quite well. Mm, yes, mm. I think he would have liked this one. The 4th of July, Roboroo 
wowed crowds at Darling Harbour, Australia, as part of the IBM Software Universe event. What, what pray tell, is <laughs> Roboroo? Roboroo was a 1.52 metre stainless steel and aluminium structure shaped like a kangaroo. Yeah. It was designed by IBM. Right. To demonstrate the latest advances in voice and text recognition technology. Did it really have to be that big? Well, yeah, I don't know. And I don't understand why it had to be a kangaroo either. I, I feel know. like, yeah, it's a bit of a gimmick. Do you reckon they just put a person inside it? <laughs> it sounds to me like they put a person inside it. it had, no, it had camera eyes and it would scan text on a page. Like not a big person. It's and only 1.52 metres tall, <laughs> but a person nonetheless. It's camera eyes would scan the text on a page. Its computer brain would then translate it into characters which were then analysed and then spoken. Wow. I think it was a kangaroo because it allowed it to have a pouch that could hold brochures. So right. I think it was a bit of a marketing gimmick, to oh, be Oh, so honest. you pull out a brochure and then put it in front of Roboroo's eyes and he reads it for you. Yes. Or she. And there was a screen on its chest. Probably she if it's got a pouch, yes, right? Yes, yeah. which displayed the, uh-huh. the text. Um, it was reading. Well, I guess, though, this is kind of the first – Dabble in in AI and voice to text, and you know that annoying robot voice on the TikTok that you put over all your videos when you're one is, of those. This is text to voice because it's analysing the words on the page and then voicing them, right? Oh, okay, yeah. it's not like that at all. No, <laughs> I take well, that back. I'm sure it's connected, but maybe like screen readers then. Yeah. So this is this is maybe an early version of a screen reader. Well, screen readers. I mean, screen readers were around in the early 2000s, weren't they? Were they? they? Uh, yeah. Okay, well, maybe it's just crap. <laughs> <laughs> Rack off Roboroo. <laughs> well, Richard Gray was proud. He was the manager of IBM's oh, voice yeah. technology What did he division. have to say about it? He said, the software inside it is cutting edge and adaptable. You could see this technology at the airport answering people's questions. Right. Could listen to speech, translate, and then repeat the phrase in a different language. What sort of questions? Tell people which gate they could go to. Right. What time their flight is leaving. So they were looking at it for translations as well. Where are the toilets? How do I find a taxi in this godforsaken place? Even though it resembles an Australian native, though, he did say, warning, it can stumble when it comes to <laughs> pronouncing some local suburb names. For example, if it didn't have a predefined pronunciation for a word, it will still endeavour to say it and get it wrong. Right. Bondi would end up sounding like Bondi instead. I, yeah. I do I do feel a kinship to Roboru. <laughs> with the pronunciation. <laughs> with the pronunciation dramas. So. I feel like Siri still has that problem to this day. I don't yeah, know well, if she Siri says colour me, colour me badad. No, colour me badad. Uh, there's, there's definitely some Australian towns and cities that Siri. I mean, having said that, I try to be more exotic so I don't use the Australian Siri. I use the American I Siri. use the English one because I like being told what to do in an English uh, Yeah, I, I don't mind the English one either. The English or the American Siri, your watch is going crazy every time I say Siri. Um, not oh, that we're looking Not that we're looking for an Apple sponsorship or anything like that, although it'd be <laughs> nice. Wouldn't it be nice? Even though we just talked about IBM. Um, but, yes, I like using those accents, the mm. Australian uh, – sorry – 
the American and the English accent because it just has more of a sci-fi vibe. I oh. feel like I'm in a movie then. I feel like the English one is a bit more refined and I'm more likely uh, to do what it says. A little bit more proper. Yeah, yeah, the Australian one's a bit too Australian. Yeah, you just want to. Uh, no offence to the person that did the voice, of course. Hey, Siri, yeah, what's, <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Wearing me trackies. All right, let's talk about some sport. 30th of June 2002, we had the FIFA World Cup final played at International Stadium. That's quite a boring name for a stadium. International International Stadium. Stadium. Could have come up with something a bit more creative. International Stadium. You'll find International Stadium at Yokohama, Japan. Uh Uh-huh. Did you watch this one? I did. Was it in like at stupid o'clock in the middle of the night? No, well, no, I think because Tokyo at about this time of year is around an hour behind us. I'm not sure ah. where Yokohama is in proportion to that. I haven't been to Japan, but yes. And it was, I remember watching it. I remember being very excited about it. I watched it with a few friends. We had a few beers. We put on a few bets. Do you remember who was playing? I do. It was Brazil and Germany. Who did you bet on? Brazil, mm, of course. Good choice. I mean, Brazil were pretty hot to trot, but Brazil are always like the favourites in the World Cup. And they had Ronaldo then, didn't they? They did have Ronaldo then, and he scored both goals. Here's the first goal. Now Rivaldo, Owen Chong spilled it, Ronaldo to make the breakthrough. His predatory instincts take over. And Brazil lead midway through their second half. So nothing happened in the first half. It was deadlocked, mm. nil all. And then they Ronaldo in, at 67 minutes scores after what the goalkeeper from Germany, I think his name was Oliver Kahn, reckons it was his only mistake in the finals. Uh, what a time to make a mistake, though, However, Oliver. Yikes. 12 minutes later, Klebersen runs towards the German penalty area, passes it to Rivaldo, he let the pass through his legs and it reached Ronaldo again. And this happens. There's a really strong run from Clemenson. Rivaldo's left it. Ronaldo scores for the second time in the space of a dozen second half minutes. And Brazil well on their way to a record fifth World Cup success. A beautiful Brazilian goal. And that was the end. Bottom corner of the net, 2-0. Nobody would score for the rest of the game. Brazil take the victory away. Mm, and as they predicted, their, uh, their fifth World Cup title, which is a record still as of 2021. They were kind of a big deal, the Brazilians. And as an Australian, we weren't doing that well at World Cup soccer at that stage. I don't mm. think we'd been there for like a very long time. And so Brazil wore green and gold, so it just felt natural to be going for the... <laughs> That's the logical team exactly. to go for, Same yeah. Same colours, mate. Yeah. I went to high school with one of the Socceroos. Did you? Yeah. He was a kind of a big deal. He was on stickers. And I remember everyone at high school stuck his sticker on the bottom of their bag to support him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. Do you remember his name? Uh, Ned Zelik. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. And his brother Ivan, I think, was a year below me. He was a big deal, wasn't he? Yeah. Well, he had a sticker. Mm. Well, you got a sticker. Not every day it. you get a sticker. I know. Yeah. And they're hard to peel off. They're kind yeah. of permanent. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, there you go. 
It's music time. And that sporting event probably explains the number one in uh, Australia yeah. and the UK this week. Mm-hmm. A little less conversation, Elvis yeah. versus JXL. And you were right. It was used in the advertising campaign for, for this. the World Cup. Yes, yeah. I would like or to Nike. issue a retraction over my previous comments. Oh, it's so. okay. I think I corrected you in that I episode. think you probably did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so same number not often I'm right, though. I should hang on to that. (laughs) Put that in the bank for later, yes. Yes. Uh, So let's go over to the US. Look, spoiler alert, same number one, but we've got a montage and there's something new in there. Just blaze. Oh, baby. Uh, killer. All the girls see them. Look at his kicks. Look at his car. All I say is. Three. See, my days are cold without you. But I'm hurting while I'm here. And now my heart can't take no more. I keep on running back to you. Two. Numbers brought to you by RoboRoo this week. <laughs> Jumped on to do our numbers for us. Five. <laughs> should be more of an accent, shouldn't it? <laughs> so we did have a new song in the top five in the US Billboard top charts. The Chad. Was the Chad? Chad, yeah, when he went out solo. Hero. The Chad. Was Chad. that inspired? It's on the Spider-Man Spy- soundtrack. That's why. Gossamer. Uh, if you remember, yeah, it was Gossamer oh, no. from a few episodes Glad ago. you remembered, though. That's again. handy, isn't I'm it? I'm never going to forget that again. So that was number five. Number four, Cameron, oh boy. Number three, Foolish Ashanti. Number two, Without Me, Eminem. Still hasn't quite made it to number one. Surprising. No. Surprising. I don't know. Do you reckon he's going to? I don't I'm remember. Sure he did go I to mean, number one. I mean, we never really followed the Billboard charts as much as we did the Australian charts at the time, but I feel like it's important in the context of the podcast uh, now to look to Billboard. I did listen to Rick D's wasn't oh, Rick D's Rick American, D's, the American top, top forty. Rick D's, yeah. Yes. Uh, so I, d- I mean, Nelly, that song, that that song right there, <laughs> is uh, that's going to stick around for a while. <laughs> that was Chingy did the song right there. Oh, right there. Yes, I like the way let's you just, do it. Right yes, there. let's just clarify. No, I don't want to karaoke on the show. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, it's going to take a bit to bump Nelly yeah. off the charts, I believe. Mm, I reckon yep. Eminem. I'm pretty sure he did get there. Surely, surely have he to. Does. He's yeah. Eminem. We of course did. he did. We did have a few album releases. I, do, I have to say, mm. I, I, there's a Jeff Fennick joke in there somewhere with Eminem. Eminem, uh, love you all. What? Jeff Fennick. Because it, uh, it's lost on you, isn't it? Yes. Jeff Fennick, when he was in interviews, the boxer. Yeah, I know say, who he is. Eminem, Eminem, Eminem. Uh, like he done an R. Oh. So like, Eminem, Eminem, I love you all. Oh, okay. Anyway. Uh, we can move on from that because I'm a yeah, bit embarrassed. Let's do that. Okay. There was quite a few album releases this week, 20 years ago. Good. Including some remix ones, but we're going to start with this one. Let's just get it over and done with on the 1st of July. I guess so.
Oasis. Yes, That's that was the, the Hindu times that they stole from the Stereophonics for their yeah. album Heathen Chemistry where they stole the title from David Bowie. Oh, calm down. Was that ever proven, the Stereophonics thing? Did Stereophonics get anything out of that? I can't remember. No, I don't know. Well, you, it, it was a pretty substantive song comparison. Very, very similar. Yes. Very similar. If they didn't do anything, maybe we should send them a copy of the song comparison for their own records. Oh, I think we just let bygones be bygones. This Something was, that Oasis is not very good at doing, but no, anyway. this was the fifth studio album yep. for Oasis, and it was the first one recorded with guitarist Jem Archer and bassist Andy Bell. Yep. It was the last album to feature the band as a five-piece with drummer Alan White leaving in 2004, and Noel said that his commitment to the band was not adequate. Listen, not Alan, adequate, Alan, go. Your commitment to this band is not adequate. In fact, it is inadequate. <laughs> And it is time for you to go. I think that's probably what went down. Correct. I think that uh, I think that he would have had a few more expletives in there. But anyway, yes. it's a PG show. It was produced by Oasis and mixed by Mark Stent, who also worked with Björk, Madonna and U2. Yes. Most of the music for this album was completed in mid to late 2001, but it was delayed because Liam was apparently reluctant to lay down his vocals at the recording sessions. No, I'm not laying down the vocals right now uh, because I am reluctant. <laughs> he was possibly too busy concentrating on his tambourine. He's credited as playing the tambourine on the album. That's right. So maybe, maybe he's focusing on his tambourine. Maybe he's going to get a side hustle in the Salvation Army. Maybe. Playing the tambourine. It's yeah. not a hard instrument. I'm pretty sure you could sing and goodies? play the tambourine the at the goodies? same time. When they went to war with the Salvation Army and they had oh, the tambourine players. It's so good. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. So when they did finish it, Noel actually said, Noel was like, this is our second best album. <laughs> Back yourself, Noel. I know. Second best, right. Uh, it's our second best after Definitely Baby, all right? Oh, uh, that was, is that the Wonderwall yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. So. Fair enough. Oh, don't start me on that. Uh, <laughs> critics critics didn't really agree, though. It, it, the average score of, what was it, like 55? Yeah, so very low 55%. pass. 55%. Very low pass. That's still a pass. <laughs> a lot of reviewers felt like it was the band getting back on track and doing what they do well, but then on the flip side, a lot of... A lot of people hated it as well. I think some of the uh, the quotes around it, uh, stylized guitar murk. Oh, that's a, bit, a little bit cruel. Hookless isn't it, really? acoustic ditties. Hookless. Short of tragic. Short of tragic. What, mm. what what do you mean? It was certified triple platinum in the UK, however, but that's that's only just over a million triple platinum in the UK. You know what? Triple platinum is still triple platinum. Gold here in Australia, 35,000 units were moved. Yeah. And in the US they sold 154,000 copies. Wow. Yes, mm. yes, yes. But there was a lot of a lot of fighting between the brothers. Yeah. So I thought what I'd do is just look up some of their best fights. Do you want to hear about some of their best fights? Sure. So in 1994, yeah. During an LA concert, Liam yeah. changes the words to live forever to annoy his brother. <laughs> and he hits Noel over the head with a tambourine. There the tambourines go. come back. It's a weapon you in the Salvation have, Army, I told you. <laughs> perhaps would have banned him from playing yep, the tambourine absolutely. after that. Great incident of 1994. Mm. Same year they did an interview with NME and spent the entire conversation Sniping at each other with lots of rude words. Are they so, are they connected to Jeff Fennick as well? And me, anyway. 
<laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have revisited that joke. That's a shocker. 1995, Liam invites a large group of people he'd just met at the pub to the studio where the band were recording. Yeah, that's not good. Live studio audience <laughs> as where they were recording What's the Story Morning Glory. Hey, come on down to the studio. Let's Noel all- was trying to record, tells everyone to leave, and then hits Liam over the head with a cricket bat. Oh. <laughs> 1996, just before their MTV Unplugged taping, Liam, who barely attends rehearsals, claims he has a sore throat and backs out at the show. Noel sings instead and during the performance, <laughs> Liam starts heckling him Is that about his singing do? while he's drinking champagne on the balcony. Perhaps I'd be up there except for the fact that you keep hitting me over the head with a cricket bat. <laughs> During uh, downtime in Barcelona uh, in 2000, Liam decides to question the legitimacy of Noel's child. I don't think that's your kid, Hits Noel. him repeatedly and splits his lip open in the process. I'm going to hit you over the head with a child. 2002, <laughs> Liam walks off stage in Japan. Noel describes it as a diva fit. <laughs> then in 2009. They are the best. I reckon they're great. Then in 2009. Noel on Liam in an interview with uh, Q. He's rude, arrogant, intimidating and lazy. He's the angriest man you'll ever meet. He's like a man with a fork in a world of soup. Man with a fork in a world of soup. Let's think about that for a moment. Man with a fork in a world of soup. It's so good. It's just so good to see brothers just play their sibling rivalry out in the public eye in such a rock and roll way. And they don't half ass it either. Like they're hitting each other over the head with cricket bats and tambourines. Yes, and tambourines. And babies. 2011, Liam calls Noel's new band the High Flying Turds. <laughs> <laughs> and Noel announces their team. <laughs> oh, and I just got, I, I couldn't keep going because this is pretty much a fight every year. So that's, that's as at 2011. So maybe oh. next time. We talk about Oasis. I'll fill you in from 2012 so to, to 2022. The biopic would be phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. a man with a fork in a world of soup. <laughs> <laughs> you could call that type of behaviour shenanigans. <laughs> you could. Shenanigans. You could call shenanigans on that behaviour, <laughs> which is the name of the album that was released on the 2nd of July. Oh, I get what by you just did there. Green Day. So that's a compilation album, yeah, with reprise records. So because that, that that actually because the B sides, rarities, and whatever, that's a pretty lo-fi, more punky version of Green Day than I've heard in a while. Yes, that was the previously unreleased track. Ha ha, you're dead. <laughs> oh, it's not very nice, is no. it? There was also it's very a punk though. Spy themed instrumental called Espionage, which featured on the soundtrack for Austin Powers' The Spy Who Shagged Me, which would be coming out around this time 20 years ago, wouldn't it? This one peaked at mm, number 27 on the Billboard charts. Yeah. uh, Sold 280,000 units as of 2010. So comparatively, Dookie, their first album, sold over 10 million copies in the US and 20 million worldwide. Right. This one, 280,000. It just feels like it's a bit of a filler album in the catalogue, right? I, think I mean, if you're also, a fan, you'd probably object to that statement. But yeah, rarities. Hello, B sides. Nah, it's just I've like got the B sides. That's stuff that didn't make the cut previously, and we want some money. I think part of the problem as well was the cover. If you've seen the cover, it's their faces graffitied, spray painted on a wall, but it didn't have their name 
or the, mm. the the name of the album. That's very punk rock. So I don't know that people actually knew it was them. And I think some record shops were actually making their own stickers to stick on there so people knew who it was. Attention, this is a Green Day Yes, album. yes, yeah. pretty much. B-sides and rarities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just trying to be helpful. Yeah, well, if you're a true fan, you would have known, obviously. I don't know. There's something – you know, it's, it's funny because a lot of people would say that Green Day weren't – Punk rock because they were so successful, but I and and that sort of goes against the, like what punk rock is. But I would argue that they they always have been. It's mm. just that it's it's weird how that kind of community really turns on their their favorite bands once they do become successful. Punk almost shoots itself in the foot every single time. Mm. It's like as soon as Green Day got commercially successful, it was like, well, they're no longer a punk band at mm. all. It's not cool for me to like them But, anymore. yeah, and I still remember they would spit on each other on stage. Oh, so gross. Uh, yeah. So, well, I mean, whatever. Good luck to Green Day, I think. They've been in the game for a long time. Oh, yeah. And this was also when they were doing that pop disaster tour, which we spoke about oh, a with, few um, months ago. Oh, with Blink-182. Yeah. And Jimmy Eat World and that other band that they just were making fun of the whole time. <laughs> and the idea was to support this album, but during the tour, I don't think they – Performed any of the, uh, the, and the songs from the they album probably, on the tour? Like I said, they probably haven't even rehearsed them. They would have gone, "Oh well, let's dig up some old tapes and see yeah. what didn't make the cut yeah. last time, and then Maybe we'll throw it all on idea. an album." It does seem like a bit of a money grab, really. Mm. Which mm. is maybe well, they not. didn't grab much money from it. They didn't sell many copies. Well, better than a lot of bands. <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> well, speaking of money grabs or not so much, this particular album is currently selling for around $2.83 Australian <laughs> on the eBay. Wow. Uh, 2nd of July, we had This Is The Remix. You always, you never cease to amaze me with your research. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. This is the remix, and I'm expecting P. Diddy, J to the L.O. No, Jessica Simpson. I know I meant to uh, uh, say no. Uh, hand clap. I don't. Ah, uh, uh, hand clap. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever heard. Is, is she got an MC? Is that what that guy is? An MC? Uh, yeah. Call out a hand clap. Yeah, <laughs> just, is, just in case you didn't realise what that was. Oh, Pre warning, hand clap for anyone who's a bit affronted. Maybe cover your ears. Hand clap. That was the so so deaf remix. Yeah, that was uh Jermaine Dupree. Also featured a little Bow Wow. He rapped at the start and he wasn't terrible. I preferred the start of the song to the chorus. I oh, should have put that in, cool. but it didn't have Jessica singing. So, uh-huh. yeah, yes, it's exactly what Jermaine did. Yeah. Uh huh. Right. And clap. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, this I was the first what, remix what, album. I don't for even her. know what that song was. I, I mean, I'm, Irresistible. Right. Okay. Cool. If you listen to the vocal, I don't know that she actually re recorded it. I think that's lifted straight from the, the original well, and they've just that, run it over that, the top of I Got Five on it. Well, that's like by definition what a remix is. Like, well, you, it's not like you go, go in and re Well, no. J Lo does. Does she? Don't you remember the Ain't It Funny remix? And well, yeah, that's a completely different uh, song. I don't know. I just don't think More that's, effort. that's not a remix then. That's a different song. Jagged Edge's remix, the okay. So So Deaf remix. I mean, is. what would I know? I would say that a remix Yeah, how is, many remix albums have you had? I would say that a remix is that you take the original recordings and you remix them. 
remix. By definition. Well, this right? was her first remix album, which okay. makes me wonder if there were subsequent remix albums. I don't know. From her first two studio albums, Sweet Kisses from 1999 and Irresistible from 2001. Yeah. It's influenced by various genres of electronic music. Didn't include any new songs. So, yeah, So So Deaf were responsible for some of it. There was also, I think, she the songs that were on it, I think there was two remixes of each song. Right. That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of remixing, not yeah. recording. Yeah. Remixing. So there's yeah. two remixes of Irresistible. Right. I think two remixes of I Want to Love You Forever yep. and two remixes of I Think I'm in Love With You. And okay. then there was one other song that I've never heard of. Yeah. So I didn't write it. I haven't it heard of any of them. I only know Jessica Simpson really from uh, Dukes of Hazard oh. uh, and that ham- that Carl's Jr. hamburger commercial, which is amazing. Uh, and, and I, I, yeah, it was weird. No, she had a big 2002. Was she, she? She got hitched to Nick Lachey from oh, 98 Degrees. And I was going to say the show – where yes. she called, um, she got confused about the fact that they called tuna chicken of the sea. Yeah, she thought it was thought actual tuna chicken. It was actual chicken. Yes. So 2002, they got married and yep. their newlyweds started in 2003. Uh huh. Spoiler alert, they got divorced. Yeah, they did, didn't they? She was really, she was quite a good Christian girl up until she put on the Daisy Dukes, wasn't she? And her dad, yeah, her dad was very much kind of in control of her career. Uh, I think Newlyweds was meant to be another celebrity couple. I'm trying to remember who it was. It was pitched years earlier. It was another music couple. Really? And it never took off. And then her dad put her forward for it after she got married, or maybe even maybe that's why she got married. I don't know, but that's but gross. Pops, Pops put her that's forward for the gross. reality show, like yeah. yuck. Yeah. Thanks, Dad. So they got divorced, but then Nick, Nick ended up on a very famous little show called One Tree Hill, and remember the soup? Yes, Joel McHale. I love the soup, Joel McHale. And he's yep. the one that brought our attention to his big debut on One Tree Hill. But first, just when I thought I couldn't love One Tree Hill anymore, they went ahead and brought on Nick Lachey. Not fair, CW. In any event, this dream come true led to this totally natural moment, which inspired our new segment, Stay Out of It, Nick Lachey. Why don't you tell me you lost your virginity to Brooke Davis? Nice. Peyton told me, but it should have been you. The losing virginity topic really isn't something a guy likes to bring up to his girl. Or himself. But then again, your premier star, Bo Davis. Stay out of it, Nick Lachey. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm confused. Is it Joey Fatone? (laughs) (laughs) Stay out of it, Nick Lachey. Yeah, Nick Lachey. So good. What are you doing? Wow. (laughs) Remix albums. There's more remixes out there as well this week. What's Mm. what's happening? Cypress Hill. This is a remix album that I could get into, I reckon. Mm -hmm. Cypress Hill had an EP called Stash, which had remixes of like a lot of their songs. uh, And they they criticized it because they censored it, right? They Mm. took all the profanity out of it. Yeah, that's a bit odd. Which kind of sucked. So maybe it was maybe one of those EPs. It. Maybe it's one of those EPs that you get at the supermarket, and that's why they had to take the rude words out. Maybe you used to get them at, at Woolies. It's just not very Cypress Hill, is it? No, like because they had amplified and they had throw your set in the air, had throw your set in the air, taking all the profanity out. That's ridiculous. Wave around like you just don't care. But then they did because you remember they had rock superstar, mm, and then they had that. rap superstar on here as well. I just want to be a rap superstar. 
I just uh, remix albums up the wazoo this week. If you, yeah. That uh, sounded like they were sampling uh, All Eyes on Me by Tupac. Probably, underneath. maybe. I just mm. don't like remix albums. I feel like it's that's that, when you start doing that, if you don't do it well, mm. like there are certain remix albums that are really good, like White Zombie did Super Sexy Swing and Sounds, which has basically transformed all of their songs. They used the original recordings, like the vocals and all the bits and pieces, and they mixed them up enough to completely transform them. All, so, so things like that are great. But when you kind of just throw a bunch of stuff together, it, it makes me feel like you're saying to your fans or your audience that you don't respect them. Just chucking it over there you a, go. another famous rap song. P. Diddy. Maybe it's not the musicians. Maybe it's not the artists, though. Maybe it's, it's the, the labels. It's Again. The, whoever's, but also whoever's in charge of remixing it. P. Diddy. He. Yeah. Re- we invented the remix. Came out around this but time. But no, and it he had- didn't. <laughs> he did not. In his mind, he did. I he- think he probably thinks he invented a lot of things. Like he yes. thinks he's like Tesla. <laughs> it's like- but you know, in his defence, we invented the remix. Is actually a quality album. That's the I Need a Girl. There's I Need a Girl Part One and I Need a Girl Part Two. That song that's in the top five montage that we yeah. played. Yeah. Two completely different songs sound amazing. And yeah. then he did the 112 remix of oh, Dance With Me. Okay. And then he did the other one of Jagged Edge, Let's Get Married. It is a quality remix a quality album. Remix. Yes. I don't I, I, I just, stand by that album. I feel like you do not need to defend Diddy. <laughs> it's probably the only time that I will. I think he's fine. He look after himself. He's probably got some <laughs> he's he's he has the means to defend himself. We he know does. this he because he got pulled over in the car with Jennifer Lopez and had a firearm <laughs> in there. So you don't need to defend him. Uh, he's, he's weaponed up. Just he's this is the remix album. I highly recommend to listen. The man is armed. He doesn't need your defense. <laughs> uh somebody that's needed a lot of defense over the years though is Michael Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, uh, he staged a public protest on the 6th of July against Tommy Mottola from Sony Music, the chairman of Sony Music, saying that he had a racist conspiracy within the music industry and he was exploiting black recording artists. Sony, Tommy Mottola. Tommy Mottola is the president of the record division. He is a mean, he's a racist and he's very, very, very devilish. She's that fighting words from MJ, aren't they? He's he's mean, and, and he's, he's what is he devilish? Devilish, and he's racist. Okay. He does elaborate on his fury against Matola. Yeah. He then held up a poster of the music mogul with devil horns on his head and a tail and a pitchfork. So he graffitied a picture of uh, Tommy. That's very mature. Michael. He also had a picket sign that read, Sony Music Kills. <laughs> what? Sony responds with a statement calling Jackson's remarks ludicrous, spiteful, and yeah, the dude's hurtful. Up the planet. Come on. Hurt our feelings, yep. Michael. Although there were whispers of bad blood between them long before 2002, his attitude towards Sony was kind of at its peak after the label failed to promote his final studio album, Invincible, from 2001. Oh, yeah. He was also upset that they refused to release a September 11 charity song that he recorded. Well, it was probably crap. He was additionally outraged at the time after a deal that he and Sony were working on regarding the licensing of his album masters fell through. So as a result, he exited his contract with Sony and then refused to tour the album. 
Yeah. He's where it gets a bit interesting. Really? Yeah. I'm, so I just I just I I find Michael Jackson really hard to be interested in or talk about. There's just too much around that dude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and again it's like a lot of people would be like separate the artist from the the whatever else is happening behind the scenes and I'm just like, "Man, I don't really feel like doing that with him." Mm. But anyway, what's mm. interesting about this? So he dies in 2009, obviously. Yeah. In 2018, Sony acquired a 60% stake in EMI Music Publishing, which gave the label the rights to oh, his estate. Like Neverland? Not Neverland. The music. The music. The music. No, his Neverland. estate of okay, music. Good. Yes. A couple of years ago, Kanye comes out on the Twitter accusing Tommy of somehow being involved in Michael's oh, death. Ooh. I mean, well, if Kanye's, I mean, Kanye's mad. <laughs> like, he tweeted and yeah. later deleted, as does Kanye. I shouldn't say Kanye's mad. That's cruel. I think Kanye has some mental health issues, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. He could probably and I, do. And I worry with, for Kanye. He could probably do with a little bit of support. So And some self-care. He tweets and then deletes, MJ told you about Tommy before they killed him. Some fans on the Twitter agree with Kanye. Oh. And they felt that Tommy had something to do with Michael's death. And there were all these conspiracy theories going around a couple of years ago that Matola sent doctors to the ranch to kill him. Never substantiated, but no. interesting story nonetheless. A conspiracy theory worth potentially unpacking mm. and possibly diffusing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, pretty Look, full on. Big allegedly. Yeah, Obs. yeah, yeah. Tommy was he was the one that was married to Mariah, right? Was he? Yeah, okay. Yep. And then didn't he bring J Lo on to kind of come up against Mariah? Wasn't that Tommy? Really. Feel like it was. I don't know. Tommy's a bit of a puppet master by the sounds of I things. I know. Don't know. Interesting story though. It'd be interesting if Kanye was right. Never Imagine know. what it like if all of a sudden one day it's like we find out that Kanye was right about, about everything. everything. <laughs> Maybe there's this parallel universe going on and Kanye knows something that we don't know. I He was right about the Taylor video. What? Beyonce's was better. <laughs> Hey, there's a little bit happening in uh, entertainment this week, which Not is exciting. Not in Australia. Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. Still number one. Was that good? No, clearly not by Amber laugh. Perhaps you could do that again for Sorry, me. I oh, just, oh, go on, you do it. You did Scooby-Doo and I turned into Muttley. <laughs> <laughs> you do it. No. Okay, fine. That Maybe. was still number one. I can only do his laugh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, my Scooby Doo is not great. Uh, rice, Neither is mine. Obviously. Rice one rag. Yeah, Sco- so Australia's put Scooby Doo in spite of the fact that it's not the best movie. Like I kind of because movie world, I guess we, we had still to- put it to number one in the box office. <laughs> had to try and make that money back. Yeah, yeah. But uh, over in the US, Adam Sandler is at number one in the box office with Mr. Deeds. Longfellow Deeds is a small-town guy. Just going to the pharmacy. Let me get you there a little quicker. How's your wife? She's fine. Terrific. Say hi for me. I will. Who's about to receive? When Mr. Blake died, he left an enormous fortune. He left it all to you, Deeds. $40 billion. Are you sure about that? Now, he's headed for the big city. This is Major Tom to ground control. 
I'm stepping through the door. Discovering there's a surprise. The biggest story of the year, and we've got nothing? You've got to be ruthless. I'm all over this. Around every corner. Ooh, there he is. How's I been mugged? Good luck. See you at the office. Don't worry, I'll get him. Oh, shoot. Stop right there. You're not going to get away with this. Right, that sounded like it ended badly. Dramatic. Um, I vaguely remember this one. It was like a Brewster's Millions type oh, film. I've yeah. never heard of it, but you know when you get that voiceover guy on the trailer who's got the half smile in his voice, it's oh, going to yeah. be a feel-good kind feel of good, movie. Feel-good, wacky, off the wall. Yeah, that the whole family can enjoy. Yeah, well, Sandler was Sandler's star was burning pretty bright then. I would argue that Sandler now is better than Sandler back then. He's got that new movie out on Netflix at the moment, that basketball film. I can't remember what it's called, but it's doing, it's doing like really well. Oh. Uh, Uncut Gems. Like, I like Adam Sandler. Uncut Gems. I think you'll find it's called. Uh, yeah, I was, was it just Safety's Meals for Uncut, Uncut Gems? Thank Unc- you. I did it myself. Uncut Gems is. Such a great film, and and Sandler playing serious roles is awesome. I think Adam Sandler does drama really, really well. His comedy does get on your nerves after a bit. Well, I mean, there's probably two movies that I really enjoy: Happy Gilmore and Billy, Billy Madison. Madison. Yeah, that's it. I don't know how well they've dated either. But Mr. Deeds was was just Sandler. Just I mean, pumping out all these movies, and Mr. Deeds was one of those movies that he pumped out. <laughs> Uh, Winona Ryder was in it too. Not sure about which orifice it was pumped out of, but uh, yeah. (laughs) Winona Ryder was also in there. Uh Peter Gallagher, uh, Steve Steve Buscemi. Yeah, yeah. Buscemi, Buscemi. We still haven't landed on that, have we? It's fine. It's fine. I can cope with both. Okay. Rags to Riches story. Mm -hmm. Feel good story, as Mm -hmm. you can tell by the voiceover. He inherits uh, $40 billion along with the world's largest media company and hilarity ensues. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Excitement. A plenty. Anyway, that's Mr. Deeds. I can't. I don't think I saw that. I don't. I think I got to the point where I was like, "Here we go." No, I'm not oh. going to. So that's one of the many films. Not many films. One of the not many films that I did not see. Make that movie one week. I might, then. You know what? Actually, I think I did. I thought at the start of this conversation you said you did see it. Did I? I don't know. Now. I'm so lost. <laughs> It should be a little less conversation as far as I'm concerned. Let's go back to the World Cup. No, I, I just, it's all a blur. The early 2000s are a blur and I feel like as this podcast goes on, at the time of recording it's very late in the evening. We've had a big day and we're just sort of settling down with a couple of drinks and attempting to podcast and I am losing track of what I'm saying five minutes before. So I don't know. I don't think I saw this. Okay, 59%. I did, no, I did see it, but I'm – I mean, I'm not gossamer. <laughs> Maybe we should tweet Kanye and he can fill us in on what's oh, going on. 59% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes, so it didn't do too great. No. Uh, I have never heard of it. Like I said, I've, yeah, never heard of it, never no. seen it. Hey, listen, in TV news, this happened on the 1st of July. The winner of Big Brother 2002. <laughs> It's Peter. Yep, Peter won Big Brother 2002. He was the bloke that was on Big Brother that did it on that particular season, which was the second season of Big Brother in Australia. This is Mm. when people sort of started to know what they were getting into with this show. Mm. Who 
barely said two words for the entire series. Kind of flew under the radar. Well, didn't yeah. that happen with the first one as well with Ben and Blair? Ben didn't I, I really guess. do much it's just either. Like it's always the quiet ones. They'd survive nominations because they didn't offend anyone. Yeah. And then nobody had a reason to vote them out. So. Peter Corbett, Wollongong Information Technology Consultant. Yes. Won Big Brother 2. This season started on the 8th of April, ended on the 1st of July. Yep. 86 days they were in the house for. Yuck. Very similar to the first season and was the only one to use the same house from a previous season. Do you think they may have changed the, the beds? I sincerely hope they would have. Changed I'll tell you what, after that first one, after that first season, I would have, the any of this, they would have burned everything. There'd be a huge <laughs> mattress and bed linen fire <laughs> in the Big Brother compound. <laughs> I hope they drained the pool too. Oh. Um, there were some small modifications apparently they, to the house. I think they skim the pool and that's how they actually get people to go into it. <laughs> Uh, this was the first time I think they had intruders, wasn't it? I don't know. That, uh, did they yeah, have intruders think, in the no, first one? No, it didn't have intruders in the first one. Yeah. No. So they had television specials where the viewers, us viewers, could get to know the intruders yeah, before they went into the house. Yeah, you'd them in, right? Yeah. Yeah, you, you narrowed them down to three, which eventually got in there. And you'll probably remember more than Peter... Yeah. Nathan Martin and Jessica oh, Hardy. Marty, Marty and, Jess. and Jess. Yeah. He was dating someone when he went in the show. So he was he? Tr- he cheated on his Did he really? Well, that Jess, should have rung so some alarm bells for Jess because they obviously forged like this big relationship, right? Mm. So like he, there was this thing where he's like, check out my scars and she's like, oh, I like a bit oh, of that. Slice me off a piece of that. <laughs> and then didn't they, they had a Cowboys and Indians birthday party and he showed her how to crack a whip oh. and then she could do that pretty well. She was good on the leather. <laughs> good on the leather. And so the next thing, group massage session. Of course. She takes off her top so that he could get to the hard to reach places and then that's it. The rest is history. <laughs> a relationship was forged and also a spin-off series. They got married. There was a TV special, The Outback Wedding. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. And then they divorced in 2006. <laughs> it didn't work out all that well for them. I believed that we were seriously an item. Like, I was in love with him up there. Travelled around Australia, landed where he wanted to be. And yeah, that's you remember, no, you shot a TV for. show. Yeah, yeah, well, it was, it was fun Jess then. And, Jess and Marty real. getting married. That was real. But the aftermath that followed, going back to all his footy mates, his local pub, he fell in love with the barmaid, they've now got a kid, they're shacked up together. <laughs> I mean, how much further do you want me to go? So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. That's mean that they're all laughing. Show some support. Yeah. Ah, yeah. I guess that's what happens when you just lay your soul bare on television. You open yourself up for, unfortunately, scrutiny. That's just, that's very Australian. We like to cut down tall poppies. Although she wasn't a tall poppy. I thought she was lovely. She's quite a short poppy. She she irritated me. But a lot of people in the Big Brother house irritated me. I'm pretty sure everyone in Big Brother irritated me. They irritated me because we were on radio at the time. And regardless of whether you liked the show (laughs) or not, you had to watch it. You had to watch it. You had to promote it. You had to talk to everyone when they got evicted from the house. You had to go to the nightclubs after they did the circuit and toured around the country to all the metro centres and went to the nightclubs and then you'd watch the show with them at the nightclubs and they'd think that their uh, faecal matter didn't stink and they'd basically try to crack onto all and sundry who were in the nightclubs with them. And then you would uh, 
end up on some stupid trip to the Gold Coast at the end of the thing with a bunch of listeners who never gave you any cake and 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 have to go and watch it live. So yeah, I didn't. And you know, the worst thing about Good it is, is after they were finished on Big Brother, they'd then come and take, <laughs> take your job. Jobs. That is true. That is a good point. I do recall, though, one year you just got fed up with interviewing them and then you were like, oh, just give it to the night show and we had to then interview them yeah. all because you just didn't want to do it anymore. Well, I'm giving you content. I was helping yeah, you. Yeah, great. You know the great. Other thing, you know the other Tested thing that, p- perfectly with the audience. They loved it. To her credit, Jess did not take anybody's radio job. She ended up singing this song. That's enough. It's uh, a helpful song. That's the Kids Alive Do the Five mm, mm. thing that Laurie Lawrence liked, the swimming pool safety thing. So yes. she was she thought herself as, as a bit of a singer. She's not a very good singer, if she you ask me. Right. She's quite terrible. Um, but she did that song. I, you know what, though? I wonder. I wonder if she sort of had a head on right when she signed the deal for that because that song has been <laughs> doing the rounds yes. since 2000 and probably three. Yeah, just round and round. Actually, didn't get buyout in perpetuity. I hope there's some royalty well, there for that. I don't know. I don't think she's, you know, I don't think she's too liquid after that. Fist. All right. I don't think there'd be anything. She wouldn't be talking to her accountant at the end of this financial year, going, "Geez, how much money did I make off the off kids alive the did the five song this year?" And learn how to resuscitate. Yeah, yeah. It's good rhyming. Back to the Big Brother house. Back to Peter. Sure. Enough of Marty and Jess. Yeah, Peter. It was a big season. Killing yep. Heidi entered the house for yep. a special surprise birthday party during an for eviction. Jess. That was for Jess. Oh, though. okay. You want to stray away from it, but Killing Heidi were in there for Jess. Yeah, but it's Killing Heidi during yeah. an eviction. Do you remember this? A twenty-five-year-old nude male ran onto the stage. Yeah. Remember Gretel's reaction? Yes, I don't. Not necessarily remember <laughs> Gretel's reaction. I do remember the streaker though. Subsequently, find only a hundred dollars. That's, That's so good worth return it. on investment. That's yeah. worth yeah, nuding up and uh, running do, across I'd the do stage that for a hundred bucks. <laughs> That's all it Absolutely. cost. All it cost him. So yes, Peter Corbett won two hundred and fifty thousand uh-huh. dollars. Marty came in second. It was a bit of a shock because everyone expected Marty to win, and it was yeah. kind of like because those two were together, Marty and Jess. If one of them won, they were going to split it. So they had a bit of an unfair advantage. That's ridiculous. But he didn't win. Got a, they got a spin-off series and divorced, so, you know. Peter won, and he said right from the start that he was going into the house for the money. He was just there purely for the money, didn't want the the Instagram followers or what MySpace followers it would have been back no, then. No, it would not. MySpace did not exist didn't in it? 2002. Oh, yeah, because no. the website was still on iPrimus. That's right. <laughs> I found it. On the I way found back it on machine. the Wayback yeah. Machine, iPrimus.com.au. Yeah, yeah. quality website, that oh, one. Oh, it was great. If you looked at it now, you'd be like, that's definitely a scam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. He was very upfront about going in there to win the money to care yep. for his brother and sister after the death of their parents, which I think was only a year or so before yep. he went into the house. It was a terrible tragedy. Uh-huh. Kept a really low profile, like you were saying, and people accused him of flying under the radar and basically being dull. Yeah. He came out a couple of years later and said that it kind of, not that it ruined his life, but he didn't like the way that they kind of took his story and he felt like they did sort of, I don't know, 
cash in on his life a little bit. He wasn't too happy about that and then just disappeared because you do see a lot of them still kind of hanging around doing stuff. Maybe he took that $250,000, you know, given the story about the death of his parents, bought a big mansion, put a cave underneath it, got a car, got a suit and went off and fought crime. (laughs) That would be a good story. No, last anyone heard of him who's coaching a football team. Oh, good. Okay, well, that's, that was that's about good. it. Yeah. Other contestants, do you remember these names? There was Sahara, Kieran, Mirabai. I remember that name, Mirabai. Mirabai. That's just, you know, I'm sorry to anyone who listens to the show that's called Mirabai, <laughs> oh, but go. I reckon if you do listen <laughs> yeah. to the show and you're, and called, you're called Mirabai, Mirabai yeah. I reckon you're a pretty irritating person. <laughs> <laughs> I would not want to be sitting in a restaurant with someone. Mirabai would be the kind of person that's like sending their food back at the restaurant. You think? Yeah, <laughs> potentially. Probably drink soy latte. I was going to say, Mirabai just screams henna tattoo to me. <laughs> Possibly dreadlocks. Very good. We're being namest. Scent of coconut. Mm. Um, Alex, yep. Nathan... Brody, I remember Brody. Yeah. Turkan, I remember Turkan. I remember Turkan. Yeah. Nicole Shannon, the personal trainer. I remember her. Oh, remember yeah, her? Yeah. She was full on. Aaron, Katrina, and Damien. Don't know who Damien was. Don't remember Katrina yeah. either. Damien. I remember Shannon. No. So that was, yeah, Big Brother 2. Done and dusted. Thank goodness. And they all come into the radio stations and take out. One jobs. of them did get a job in Perth. Oh, Alex what, or like Nathan, like driving maybe? black thunders or something? <laughs> yeah. No, on air and was on air still in 2011 when they did one of those Where Are You Now? I really? I was. One Way of the guys. to stick it out. Yeah, that's okay. the hard yards. Yeah, that is the hard yards. I take it back. Would have set off a lot of Chumbawamba emergency tapes <laughs> in that time. <laughs> Possibly being gifted a lot of listener cake too. Yeah, potentially. They'd be stupid enough to eat it too, those reality show contestants. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> Uh, like, can we talk about cartoons? Can we get a All bit right. more intellectual? Sure, let's do it. Do you remember Sailor Moon? Fighting evil by the moonlight, winning love by daylight. When the sailor's got to come fight, she is the one named Sailor Moon. She is the one named Sailor Moon. I don't know if you've ever been to a comic convention, but there's always chicks cosplaying Sailor Moon. Uh, but after seven years, in 2002, on the Cartoon Network, they pulled the plug on it. It's gone. Mm. They axed it. Yeah. That's a bit upsetting for the fans. The original translation for Sailor Moon was a pretty soldier Sailor Moon, and then it was later translated to a pretty guardian Sailor Moon. It's a Japanese manga series that follows the adventures of a schoolgirl, because they're kind of creepy like that sometimes, named Usagi Tsukino. And she transforms into Sailor Moon to search for a magical artifact, which is the legendary silver crystal. I don't know if they ever found it by the time she act, that she was axed, but mm. she has this group of, of comrades like the Sailor Soldiers called Sailor Guardians in later editions, and they battle against all these villains to prevent the theft of the crystal and the destruction of the solar system. It's a big deal. Mm. Um, and Cartoon Network decided, no, nah, we've had enough. The rights have expired. It was very <laughs> popular, though, which was yeah. weird. They just didn't want to pay the money for it. And it was Due to um, the other cartoon company, which is called Dick, D-I-C. <laughs> is it, do you remember they even at the end of it, they'd have like the little sound effect and they'd ding, 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 Dick. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, they did. It's a cartoon. <laughs> I don't remember the They didn't want to renew the license and there was all this like legal stuff going on between the animation company and the, cart- uh, the, the other networks and all that sort of stuff. But to this day, Sailor Moon has had a lasting impact 
Mm. You will often see Sailor Moon being cosplayed at, it's at a comic very, conventions. Yeah, I don't think I've never I've never read the comics, I've never watched the show, but I know who Sailor Moon is purely from the comic conventions. It's, it's a very popular costume choice. Even more so if you Japan, like the Harajuku girls and stuff yes, like that. Yes, definitely. Very, very much like that. Damn, they've got some wicked style. <laughs> and uh, Sailor Moon has a big influence on that wicked style. So yes. so that was one animated show that ended. Another one that ended was Celebrity Deathmatch. But right now, let's check back with Stacy Cornbread, who's still in the locker room with the Gallagher brothers. Stacy, how's the mood back there? Well, Johnny, as you can see, these two brothers may hate each other's guts, but there's one thing that can still bring them together, and that's the music. You're out of tune, you shaggy bum licker. Piss off! You're the one that's out of tune! Oh, yeah! Yeah! Come on, you bloody bastard! You want to have a go at me? Stacey, what's going on in there? Uh, never mind. <laughs> that was uh the celebrity death match was a bit rubbish, but I kind of enjoyed it. It was like a claymation show. Yeah, stop motion or something. Yeah, it? and mm. and it was um uh, Eric Fogel was the guy who created it for MTV, and they they basically did it up like a sports entertainment program where they'd have celebrities fighting each other. The Gallagher brothers is a perfect subject matter for that. It's probably <laughs> that's probably one of the best episodes actually. <laughs> it was pretty gory as well, wasn't yeah. it? And they had different abilities and weapons, and they had a lot of guest voiceovers as well. I think Stone Cold Steve Austin appeared on he quite did. a few. He was was he a, like an announcer times. or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. And they'd like they'd use weapons and stuff. I mean, you think about sort of late teenage boys <laughs> would have loved this show, and yeah. even maybe boys in their mid to late. Oh, ah, yes, 30s. possibly a boy sitting across the table. <sighs> I from didn't me. mind it. I didn't, look, honestly, <laughs> it was kind of filler for me. It was absurd and stupid. And I might not have changed the channel while it was on, but I wouldn't have gone out of my way to watch it. So it ran from 1998 through to 2002, yep. I think 75 episodes. Yep. It was one of the most popular cartoons alongside Beavis and Butthead and Daria. And mm. on the 26th of December in 2018, they said they were going to reimagine it and it was going to come back in 2019 with Ice Cube oh. as a star and executive producer. I feel like Ice Cube would have... They he, Ice Cube has been uh, not interested in that sort of stuff. He would have he's, reimagined. He's become well. quite the activist now. Ice Cube, like he ain't going to have a bar of like stupid MTV asinine things like celebrity deathmatch. I mean, they haven't made any announcements or updates or new information. He would have walked away. I think that 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 whole idea of that Change is hard. gone, done, dusted, over. No celebrity deathmatch for oh, you. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, which is, I mean, come on. We, I'd rather watch like probably a robot chicken or something now. Yeah, you know? that was good. R- robot chicken was fantastic. When it was in its prime, mm. I don't know. It's 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 one of those things though. You can kind of take it or leave it. Animation is, has this weird thing where it's like, oh, you got to check out this new animated thing. It's great, and then you kind of take it, take in a few seasons, and then you fall off it. Mm. I guess even mm. the Simpsons, Family Guy, same deal. Love those shows. We'll watch them if they're on and laugh at the jokes, but I never seek them out. Yeah, that's a good point. All and, right, well, let's move on to something high brown. Oh, okay, sure. Oh, did you still want to say more? No. <laughs> no, we can do highbrow. Okay, let's go highbrow. Okay. I feel like Ice Cube would have read this. We're going to go highbrow by talking about a book that we haven't read. We haven't read. Well, that is okay. highbrow. If we cool. haven't read it, then it is highbrow. But it was a big New York Times bestseller back in 2002. This week, in fact. What is it? 
The Beach House, a oh, thriller yeah. by James Patterson and Peter de Jong. Yeah, Peter de Jong. So, synopsis goes. <laughs> Jack Mullen is a driven law student and yep. his brother Poyter parks the cars <laughs> of the Hamptons elite and possibly satisfies their more infin- I- infinite <laughs> Intimate needs. Oh. They have infinite needs because they're rich. They're just like, I need all these things. I'm really needy. And the Peter car park Porker. guy's got to fill it. Peter Porker, indeed. Ooh, uh, so he's he's a valet, but actually a gigolo. <laughs> Peter's body. Oh. They find Gosh, Peter's that body. Went dark quickly. On a beach. Yes. Dead. He's, oh. He's dead. Okay. Jack knows that his drowning was no accident. Oh. But someone's power and money has bought the police, the judges, and the system. Jack is about to get schooled in the law as he plots an astonishing plan to beat the billionaires. It's never going to happen. Jack, you're dreaming. Do you know the funny thing about this? I was looking for a trailer for the Beach House, like something on YouTube so I could get some audio to, you know, a statement for the author or whatever. Do you know... How many movies there are? There's a few, yeah. Called The Beach House that are completely unrelated to this novel. Same with books. There's a lot of beach house books as well. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, so it's it's just it's it's so Maybe we've got the wrong one ourselves. Who if knows? You're, if you're a budding novelist, author, if you like to do it recreationally, you're trying to write a book that you want to hopefully, you know, catch a big break on, do not call it The, the Beach, beach House. house. <laughs> it got 3.8 Five stars on Goodreads. Yeah. Adam Light gave it five stars. He was reading it while he was stuck in a traffic jam for three hours. Said it was the fastest book he'd read. Three hours? It took him three hours to read it and he was driving a car. He was in a traffic was jam. In traffic. So in his defense, he probably wasn't moving because he was hell stuck of a traffic jam, in a traffic man. jam. What are you going to do? I'll just break out a book. That's a good idea. Mitchell. And you know what, too? Because yeah. if you're stuck in that traffic jam for three hours and all of a sudden you need to go to the bathroom, hmm. you just start tearing off oh, the pages. Oh, please, of please. Yeah. Mitchell read it while at a beach house. I went there. I'm sorry. Yep. Mitchell read it while at a beach house. How meta. Yeah. When his Kindle, <laughs> his Kindle got washed into the ocean by an unanticipated wave. Oh, really? So he picked up the paperback and read it. So he decided to call his Kindle Peter. He read the book because his Kindle got washed away. He also gave it five stars. Wow. So it's a good book. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know if it would have beat the Kindle, but when he didn't have the Kindle, it was five stars. Paula Kay gave it three stars, saying his books were better when he wrote alone. Sorry to Peter Dijon. Oh, so they're like James Patterson. They wanted to ditch Poyter Dijon. Yeah, okay. Yeah, collaboration, I mean, it'd be hard to co-write a book. Yeah. Like, what do you do? Do you like, I'll do the first half and oh. you do the second half? No, you couldn't do that. It's like, you, you know, can, like the movie from Dusk Till Dawn where it's like, I think Quentin Tarantino does the first half and Robert Rodriguez oh. does the seven, second half. No, that's not good. Mm, maybe. Jennifer, well, this says Pletcher. I think it was Fletcher because really who's called Pletcher? Well, maybe she's just like a poor version of the chick that did Murder, She Wrote, like it's, and she didn't want to get done for copyright, so they couldn't do Jessica Fletcher, and they're like, what's your name? It's like uh, uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Pletcher. That would make sense because she's reading it. This is like a mystery book. <laughs> Yeah, I've cracked the oh, code. Oh, you have. I've You're such a sleuth. I should start writing these books. <laughs> Jennifer 
teacher gave it two stars after it took a weird turn and then she did a lot of eye rolling. <laughs> I did like Jennifer Pletcher. <laughs> And then they took a mask off and it's like, actually, Jennifer Pletcher. And I would have got <laughs> it away with Jennifer it too Pletcher. if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> right, <Rice was shaggy. laughs> Aubrey gave it one star. She only got 70 pages in and admittedly said it probably wasn't fair for her to review it, seeing she'd only read 70 pages, but she still did anyway. She wasn't that interested and there was a lot of swearing. I think that's a sound review. I think that that review stands up I'm not interested against, and there was too much swearing. She didn't find it interesting and there was too much bad language, so she put it back down. Review done. Renee M. also gave it one star. And let's quote <laughs> Renee M. Just okay. full stop, such full stop, awful full stop. Crap, full stop. (laughs) Why did I finish? I'll admit that at first I was drawn in by the lure of handsome young brothers in the Hamptons. One murdered, one seeking justice. How does she know they were handsome? I guess guess they were described as Mm, handsome by the author. Yeah, dreamy. Yeah, and she just pictured them in her mind and just run with that. Oh, well, if he's, like, satisfying the rich people whose cars are parked, he must look all right. He's probably hairless but quite toned. Mm, Six-pack. Yeah. Oh, settle Tight down. buttocks. Anyway. Looks good in a valet's uniform. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can park that car in my garage anytime. <laughs> Isn't that like a Cardi B lyric? Big Mac truck. Did in he my, have yeah. dumps like a truck? truck you can truck. park that Big Mac like truck what? in my what? What? tight little garage. Okay, the lure of handsome young brothers in the Hamptons. Yep. One murdered, one seeking justice. Yep. But it quickly became entirely ridiculous. Still, I kept telling myself that it couldn't get worse <laughs> or more puerile. Or hackneyed. Hackneyed. That's a good choice of words. But it was a bottomless drop. (laughs) And then that became a kind of fascination, a hideous grimace-making fascination, which might be a reason to pick this up. If you have superfluous brain cells to kill. (laughs) Renee M. Can I tell you, in the early 2000s, I absolutely had superfluous (laughs) brain cells to kill. This is fast becoming my favourite segment, Hatches, Matches and Dispatches. Because you just get angry at all the young people. I, I honestly think it's just because of my age. We should just call this segment wowsing. I just love wowsing. <laughs> yeah, being a wowser. We'd wowsing. be wowsing. <laughs> I'm just like, I just, I'm turning into that old man that Instead likes reading Instead of woke, we're wowsed. Yeah, okay. I don't cool. know. But there, this is when you get your wowser on, isn't it? Well, I just, Usually like, the birth. It just seems like a natural progression, you know. I'm fast <laughs> approaching 50 yeah. and I should be interested in births, deaths and marriages. Yeah, That's the part true. of the paper I'll be reading. Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. Happy birth on the 4th of July to Selena Sharma. Oh, born on the 4th of July. Australian. Is she? Yes, she's from Australia. She's a singer and songwriter. Yeah. She made her first debut with her song Say Yes. Okay, so she's demanding. So baby don't say no, no, no. Whoa, I just want to feel your touch, touch, touch. Oh, oh. Ooh. That sounds very chain smoker esque, yeah, don't you think? Yeah, a little bit. A little mm. bit too, just too much synth going on there for me. Selena with DJ. Sean. DJ Sean. So that was her big breakthrough. She hey, recently, Sean. Mm. <laughs> recently launched her new music video, Lean On, with Indian rapper Emiway Bantai. 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 Emiway Bantai. Her latest single, 
had 1.3 million views in a day on YouTube. Oh, wow. That's so she's impressive. a singer, but I think she's famous for putting her songs out through the So just one of these people that's using the socials to get famous. Well, you can't make any money on these streaming platforms. You got mm. It's got to be merch and touring, right? I maintain that. So how do these people get paid? I'm not sure. Ad revenue from, from channels and stuff? There is a few companies that have started putting out apps where you actually do get paid for your content, for creators to be paid. So Isaac Hayes Jr., the son of Chef, Chef. He's started one. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but you actually you you make money back through the app for your right. content so that the crea- the money's going back to the creators because he was looking at things like TikTok where people were stealing dances off other people and just yeah. becoming these sensations. So he was putting it back in the hands of the creators, which I think is really cool. That's cool. That's yeah. honorable. That's yeah. a hard battle to win. Yeah, well, I think it's doing quite well. But uh, Selena's not there. She's on the YouTube. Yeah, and she's 20 today, so good for her. Someone who's getting a bit long in the tooth. Oh, come on. Oh, like, aren't we all? They are younger than us. Yes, indeed. That and that's okay. One well, of the fa- one of the early two thousands founding fathers. Yeah, one mothers, of the pa- one of the patron saints. The, of the holy show, trinity, potentially. Yes. Um, you know, I feel like we're wiser. <laughs> <laughs> Significantly, I feel like we've made better choices in life. Oh, uh, yeah, possibly. possibly. Well, you know, I'm talking about Lindsay Lohan. It's her birthday. She was born on the second of July. Yes, American actress, singer, songwriter, producer. Songwriter? Entrepreneur. Okay. Born and raised in New York City, she was first signed to Ford Models at the age of three. Oh, Do I doomed. smell a stage mum? Yeah, the poor girl. What was her name? What doomed. was the mum's name? Dana? Dina? Dina? I, I'm not sure. Oh, uh, she was sure. a bit she was a bit out there. It's always the parents' fault though, with these kids. I think so. Yeah. Her breakthrough came in Disney's The Parent Trap in 1998. It was quite successful. She played twins, right, in that? Mm. Yeah, that's a hard ask for a kid. Yeah, you had Michelle Tanner kind of being lazy doing half a job. Lilo's doing two. Yeah, she. Yeah, take Mm. that. Anyway. Awesome twins. Uh What else has she been in? Life Size? Yeah. I think it was a TV film. Get a Clue. Freaky Friday. Oh, that was that wasn't bad. Freaky Friday. That she was, was right. with um with Jamie Lee Curtis, wasn't mm. it? Yeah, yeah. Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, oh, and then goodness. I think probably her biggest one after Parent Trap would have been Mean Girls well, in two thousand four, wasn't it? Yeah. So she became a bit of a teen idol off the back of that, and that's when she started mixing with the Hollywood A list. Well, it was going to happen sooner or later. Getting a little bit wild and crazy. And around this time, she also released two studio albums, Platinum Certified Speak and Gold Certified A Little More Personal. Is that right? Two albums? Yes. You'll know this song. She's so angry. Mm. Yeah. Well, fair enough too. The Paps gave her a very hard time. Her they and really Britney did. in Paris. That stuff, the the behaviour towards uh, those girls back mm. then just would not stand up now. I know. Horrendous. They, they were abused. They were them. abused. They used to say yeah. things to get a rise out of them and, and then what? film their reaction. You can say what you like about those girls and their behaviour, but I would say that uh, – the treatment that they suffered at the hands of 
paparazzi agents. People mm. people that probably should have had a duty of care towards them. Yeah. Was pretty goddamn awful. And they've all been working since they were kids because, as well. That's the other thing. There's the stage mums pushing them out there. Yeah. And like if anyone did have a half decent duty of care towards Lindsay Lohan, they would have been like probably don't put that single out because it's not very good. <laughs> It's not. I quite liked it. It's terrible. I quite liked it's it. It's awful. In 2006, while she was filming the comedy drama Georgia Rule, she became the subject of a lot of media coverage due to her behaviour on set. There was a lot of tabloid reports about her being quite a diva and it was yeah. around this time that she had a few personal struggles as well, was filmed out and about after some big nights, let's just say. There was a lot of rehab stints. I think alcoholism was her main issue around that sure. time. Sure, She lost quite a few movie roles and it impacted her career as well. Yeah. Her, and she, I think she tried to stage a bit of a comeback. She did. When was it? Twenty twelve? Yeah, it was. Yeah, twenty twelve, twenty thirteen. I think there was um the movie The Canyons. I think. Canyons. Yeah, I remember this vaguely. Oh God, it was like you know a Hollywood noir type thing. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was going to be something that probably would have propped her back up. To be honest with you, but I don't think that she was. Although they got panned. The movies that she it was The Canyons and the other one was called um, what was it? Liz and Dick. Oh, yes. Not the animation company. Um, And, yeah, I think they got panned by the critics and that just kind of broke her a little bit. Then in 2013, Oprah kind of took her under her wing in a way and filmed the docuseries Lindsay with her, which depicted her life after completing her final stint in rehab and the journey to return to work. Here's a little bit of it. My truth is that I really do want you to win. I really do. If that isn't what you want, I'm okay with that. You know, I will tell these guys to pack up and leave today. No, it's not that I'm not ready to do that. I do want to. You need to cut the You really do. I know that this is my last shot at doing what I love to do. Wow. Oprah made a swear at When, when Oprah tells you to cut the, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's getting serious. Yeah. I think she wasn't turning up to filming and stuff and Oprah just had enough. <laughs> she just had a go for She's probably an investor. She probably owns some of these production companies. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I'd be a little bit upset if Oprah A Hoppo production. <laughs> Not starring Lindsay Lohan anymore. We fired her. The following year, a judge declared that she'd completed her probation, which started all the way back in 2007. So this was the first time she was free from the legal system in eight years. Remember she had the ankle bracelet as well? She was under house arrest. Yeah, that's kind of cool. That made her sexier, I thought. (laughs) Poor Lindsay. But she's allegedly had years of continued sobriety. She signed a multi-film deal with streaming platform Netflix to star in several upcoming projects. Falling for Christmas will be the first film in the deal to be released later this year. There's a couple of sides to it, right? Like I I do not, like I said before, the treatment that they receive at the hands of paparazzi production companies, managers, they're the people that also enable them and Mm. they prop them up to this. They put them on this pedestal and they prop them up. But the other thing is, is like every time these guys go off the rails, they just kind of have the luxury of being able to fall back into rehab. Mm. And it's just the most surreal, uh, 
just weird thing that I, I find normal people would really struggle to connect to. And I'm not, I, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that's not a problem in itself because these guys, that's all they know, mm. right? They, mm. they have serious, serious problems. The reason why she behaves poorly on set is because she's enabled by a whole bunch of people around her that let her behave badly and tell her that she, she's okay and she's in the right, she's doing the right thing. If somebody says to you, listen, you're kind of being a bit of a jerk. Mm. You're going to take that on board. You might be in denial. You might be narcissistic to the point where you ignore it and still carry on like a bit of a jerk, but you're going to end up with no one else around you Mm. for a long time. I feel like that's kind of happened to her, Mm. but they've kind of continually thrown rehab at her and, and told her to kind of fix herself that way, and that hasn't helped as well. I mean, she has been... In the entertainment business since she was what? A child. So she Three? never she never grew up. She never experienced a childhood. She where's where's the support? Where's the where's the help? Where's even to the point like a lot of these Disney stars that you see coming through that were, were Disney stars when they're quite young, a lot of them then have problems later in life. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like these shows sort of take them to this massive success and they cash in and make all the money on it and then they just sort of move them along for the next star and there's no ongoing support or succession planning. It's just like, yep, see ya, good luck. I don't want to be uh, doom and gloomy with this sort of stuff, but I feel like it's only a matter of time before one of these guys, one of these very famous people from this era are in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Mm. Mm. And and uh, and it's it's going to be a really bad outcome. Hopefully not, and hopefully Lindsay is back on on the right path for her. She might be okay now. Mm. I'm not saying it's mm. going to be her, but I, I, you still see a lot of them, mm. and and they they they're not looking quite right. Yeah, it's if you know sad. what I mean. I don't want to name any names, but you can judge for yourself. Just mm. have a look at their socials. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're not quite right. Um, let's move on to a death because we're on to so many positive things. We're supposed <laughs> to be wishing her a happy birthday. Yeah, look, happy look, birthday, Lindsay. Back. Yeah, I think she's going to be back. I'm looking forward to this movie. That's I'm right. going to watch it. Let's get behind it. Have a couple of mineral waters. Yes. Okay? Just take it easy. <laughs> uh, let's move on to death. So on the 5th of July, Ted Williams is a legendary Red Sox baseball player, very, very famous in the United States. He died at the age of 83. Mm, he played his entire 19-year Major League career. 19 years is a lot of time to be playing sport. You should be tired. You'd have a yeah, lot of injuries too. You really would. He uh, had his entire career with the Boston Red Sox from 1939 to 1960. I think he had a little bit of a hiatus in there because he had military service for World War II uh-huh. and the Korean War. Yep. He's regarded as one of the greatest hitters in baseball history and to date is the last player to hit over... 400 in a season? Something what would like that be? 400s like He's like the Bradman of baseball in some mm. respects. I guess that's probably Babe Ruth. But he's up there, right? Yeah. So he retires in 1960 and in his last years he uh, suffered from cardiomyopathy. He had a pacemaker implanted in November in 2000. He had open heart surgery in January 2001. After suffering a series of strokes and uh, congestive heart failure, he died of a cardiac arrest at the age of 83 mm. on the 5th of July. The interesting thing about Ted Williams when I was doing some research is not necessarily his baseball career these days. ABC- these days, but he's no, he died wait. 20 years ago. These, what do you mean? He is cryogenically frozen. 
No. He is cryogenically frozen. They had him cryogenically what? frozen. The AB- ABC, the network in America, did a report on him called The Frozen Dead. And there is a whistleblower that was working at this particular cryogenics company that has a lot to say about Ted Williams. You may not know his face, but this is the man who revealed to the world some rather unsettling news about an American icon. Here's the pitch. William swings, and there's a long drive to... The late, great Ted Williams. And it is gone. A home run for... And that is where Mr. Williams is. That's where Mr. Williams is. He's, he's in two pieces. Two pieces? Uh, yeah. They, they decapitated him. This is the man Elcor doesn't want you to hear. But after six years of silence, Larry Johnson has emerged, going public with more accusations about the singularly strange world of cryonics at Elcor. This stuff was so weird, so outlandish, unbelievable, and it's like... I want to know more. I got addicted to it. I I wanted to know more. For the last three months of his employment at Alcor, Johnson says he secretly wore a wire to record his conversations, took photographs, and collected scores of internal documents, not only about Ted Williams, but also what he claims is evidence of careless and highly questionable behavior at the Alcor Life Extension Foundation. They know I've got them on tape. What they don't know is what I have on tape. Now... That that could be that could be a disgruntled employee, right? Just leaking stuff Life to the press. Extension. However, the name of the company, they're a cryogenics company and they're called the Alcor Life, Life extension, extension Company. So they have frozen Ted Williams, they've chopped off his head. You know like Futurama where they got the heads in the jars? But the, is the idea to bring him back to life? Correct. That, but then how can they do that if they've chopped his head? I don't well, understand. The, the, well, I mean, how do you how even it, how do you even fire oh up a brain God. after oh it's gosh. it's dead and it's been frozen? I don't know. I don't know. So but, how long ago was this? How long was this whistleblower? So is he still frozen? Is his company well, still around? Well, they would have frozen him like pretty much soon as soon as he died. So they've been going still, for a while. Is he still? Is this company still happening? Like, as far as still look, as far as I know, I mean, oh my god, go that far. But do you know, like when you leave, if you don't, if you don't seal the bag up properly, and you leave stuff in the freezer, and it gets that crusty layer of ice <laughs> over the top, especially meat, like meat, just doesn't it goes um, frosty. You know, it'll keep like yeah. beef will keep in the freezer oh, for a no, certain period of time, no. but then after about six months, it kind of mm. just turns into like something that's not quite beef. So, I, yeah, I think the most fascinating thing about Ted Williams, unfortunately, and this is because I'm not a baseball fan, and baseball fans would probably be mortified at this, but yes, Ted himself be. is mortified, is that he's cryogenically frozen by I the Alcor Life, did, what was it, Life Extension Company. I have company. so many questions. So did he decide this for himself or did somebody else? What are they hoping to achieve? Who else is in there? Well, imagine. Oh, well, Who this else is, is it, in right? There? Because right? it would cost so much money. You would have to be rich, potentially celebrity, to be kept in a freezer. Who else is in the freezer? Right, I know. Oh. Isn't it? Isn't oh it my interesting? God. Isn't this it? This is worse than the taxidermy dog. This it's, is worse than the railings. It's worse than cloning. It's so fascinating. <gasps> the fact that they've like they've he's in two pieces. Oh. So his his whole body, oh and then he's they've chopped his head off, and they're going to stitch him back together, a la Reanimator or Frankenstein, oh and try and bring him back once they've found. But a are they cu- bringing him back for his? 
skills? Are they going to make him play again? What's no, the- I don't know. I just think maybe that was his dying wishes. He's probably a very rich Man, athlete. So, yeah, I'll give that so a it's go. It's like, I want to do that. There's rumours that Walt Disney is also cryogenically frozen. Oh, my God. Um, my thing is, is there's two sides to this. One, they've got to find a cure for what he died of. Hmm. But then they've also got to find a cure for being frozen. <laughs> just like that's not. <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? And a cure for not having a head attached. Yeah, like there's well three. Yeah, there's three big ifs in there. Yeah, exactly. There is three big ifs there. But you know what? There's no ifs about. We're at the end of the show. That's it. I think that's a <laughs> no, great. No, I just have up. so many more questions. I oh. need to. I'm investigating this company. I'm going to have nightmares. It's just a, it's just the most horrible story. Anyway, let's get over to the okay. movie clue. All right, this all right. is just to just to further mess with my brain after mm. that because that is just the most horrible story. Uh, let's revisit this clue that you played. I'll get to have a listen to it now. Any? Can you? Have you no, I've forgotten no what it is, and I've never seen it. Oh God! Well, this will go well. <laughs> I'll make you deal. Six months worth of dope. Just give me a ride where I gotta go. Sounds good. That sounds like Mickey Rourke. I'll make you deal. Six months worth of dope. Just give me a ride where I gotta go. Sounds good. Is that John Leguizamo? Um, so you've got you've figured out who they are. Yeah. Um, They're talking about drugs. Yeah. Um, Spun is the name of that movie. Yes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> also starring Brittany Murphy. Oh. Mina Savari. Yeah. <gasps> Billy Corgan. Yeah, from the What's Smashing that Pumpkins. Doing in there? I don't That's necessarily bitch. think it was a very successful movie. Were they I'm on meth to, or something? I'm I don't to know. remember what it was about. So it was like a, I believe it was like a comical thing. Like it was about a college dropout who liked amphetamines and stuff, and he he met like this heavyweight dealer who I think played. It was directed by um, Jonas Ackerland, who is in um he directed Lords of Chaos and he was actually in a black metal band. He you know what he wasn't just in a black metal band, he was in Bathory, which was like one of the founding fathers of black metal. So oh. he was in Bathory for a short period of time and then but he was also a filmmaker and then he started directing music videos. So he directed uh music videos for Roxette, he directed the Prodigies Smack my bitch up music oh, video. Wow. He directed the. How do you go from Roxette to Smack my bitch? Up? How do you go from Bathory <laughs> to Roxette to Smack my bitch up? Joyride to Spun. <laughs> like he's done videos wow. for Metallica, Christina Aguilera, Blink One Eighty Two, U Two. Britney, he's done stuff for Britney, Smashing Pumpkins. So yeah, and maybe like, that's why Billy Corgan so, was in the movie. But Spun, Spun was the first. Film, the first feature film that mm. he'd ever made. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Ackland. I, like, if you have not seen the film Lords of Chaos and you've potentially read the books, it's very divisive amongst the black metal community. But they're a great movie and a and a great book. Uh, yeah, there you go. Spun. Thank you. You did it. Congratulations. You. Not only did I do it, but I knew heaps of crap about the dude you who had made lots it. Some extra facts. I'm so impressed. You the facts At to myself. the party. Thank you. I'll give myself another ding. Yeah, oh. Thank you very much. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm impressed by myself. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for that movie, Clue. That was one of my favourites. 
Ah, I thought you may have seen that. I have never heard of it. Uh, it's not my favourite movie. I do remember the film. I mean, Mickey Rourke is pretty hit and miss, you know, mm. these days. But anyway, that's it. We're done. We are. Awesome. Come join us on the social. Search for T-Minus 20 Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And Oh, and what else? Hey, 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 hey. What else? TikTok. <laughs> are we doing that? Are we doing TikTok? <laughs> we are. What the We're hell? We're TikTok a fish. Why? I don't know. No one's going to watch us. That's where all the cool kids are. They don't even see us on we the need other to, socials. We need to become relevant with all these hatches. Oh I need God. to see what they're up to. Oh, my had to God. Had to sign in so I could see what they were doing for what their do birthday. What do I have to do for a TikTok? You know exactly. I have to learn dances. You know exactly what you have to do for right. a TikTok. I better get into shape so for that. So join us. I don't, can, you can't message people on TikTok, though, can you? Oh, I, I don't think not. there's I – don't, I don't even know how it works. Anyway. So, look, we're there. I don't know if anything will be coming out from us because I don't know how it works, but uh, we're there. It's a good start. God help us all. Uh, yeah, maybe just talk to hey, us on the Instagram. <laughs> thanks thanks very much for uh, listening. And yes. uh, we'll be back next week. See ya. Love you. Bye. And that concludes another week that was 20 years ago. Join us again next time for more not-so-ancient history on T-20. In the meantime, come and reminisce over on Facebook and Instagram. Search for T-20 Podcast. Hey.